Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Turn Out a Punk Footnotes. I am one of your hosts, Damien Abraham, and your other host, as always, is my friend, the wallet chain rockin', punk rock talkin', warp tour stockin', Chris O'Toole. Chris, how you doing, buddy? <laughs> Good. I think the thing I most appreciated about that intro is that you took the cadence from Ice T's colors to use it, but uh, <laughs> everything you said in it is inaccurate, highly. <laughs> but yes. Well, <laughs> well, we will get to that in a minute. But I think you know who amongst us, above a certain age, can't say that they at one point stalked the Warp Tour um, in some way. But we'll get to that in a second, Chris. You can you can deny it all you yeah. want in a minute. Uh, but first, I guess we should start off by saying, uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can find uh, me on various forms of social media, at Left for Damien. You can write to uh, Turned Out a Punk Podcast at Turned Out a Punk Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can subscribe to this thing on your preferred platform. Tell all your friends about it. And Chris, how do they get in touch with this podcast in particular, though? Yeah, to reach us here, it's turned out a punk footnotes at gmail.com. And Chris, you forgot to give your social media handles there too. <laughs> yeah, nada. Not happening. All right. Not this time. <laughs> One day. One day. <laughs> no. Yeah, we'll I, I don't need to be in, uh, in, in public display. Well, yeah, you say that, but you have not felt those endorphins hit you when you get those likes. You know, you got you to put that on public display. <laughs> you know, no, I let um, you. I let you all take the accolades anyway. That's what this is about. I don't need. Well, that. yeah, no, and also, who wants to see all your Twitter stories about baseball? Always <laughs> tweeting about baseball. And, and, and yeah, of course, my favorite. My favorite, yeah, baseball, my favorite. Yeah, your favorite <laughs> sport. That was my distraction technique. Anyway, uh, that is how you get in touch with us here. We will be not be sorry. We will not be doing a mailbag this week because we have kind of three separate episodes to discuss. Uh, but before we get into that, Chris, how have you been? We are coming off a bit of a vacation. I mean, like yeah, for the well, show. You, yeah, yeah. We had a, a little bit of a layoff there of uh, pretty much two weeks or was it just we, we missed one week. I think, one week, right? one week, yeah. Um, yeah, but uh, no, good. I don't know. Nothing is uh, – Nothing too crazy. I've you know been doing the usual things, but yeah, what you you have the exciting journey here. I don't really have anything to add. Well, I did I did go on a bit of a road trip. There are some turned out of punk connections in this road trip. Uh, I stayed at my aunt's house, who her son played in No Joy, and of <laughs> course, you know former guest of the show. Uh, and also, we were going to go to Boston, where we we're going to go hang out with. Another former guest of the show, your friend too, Chris O'Toole, Josh Cantor. Yeah, that, I remember you told me that you were going to do this. I thought, I well, I thought and think this is a really good idea. But uh, yeah, Josh uh, was very nice. Like he put us up too. So I uh, did. Did you stay with him again with the no, fam or no? No, no. We we rented uh, we rented our place. We got a place, um, nice. a hotel, and 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 uh, some. Uh, you know, the staying at seeing some places and stuff but uh yeah we didn't stay this time with josh but we did get to see josh went to visit him at work at fenway park where he played a mm -hmm. black flag song on the organ and a fucked up song 
on the organ. <laughs> which uh, which songs do you recall? Uh, Rise Above by Black Flag. And nice. I actually missed the fucked up song, unfortunately, because I had to take <laughs> my two younger kids <laughs> to the children's lounge. Uh, for people that don't know, that's the absolute perfect summary of Damien's. <laughs> Damien yeah. regarding fucked up. Yeah. Uh, it's so funny. Yes. Yeah, I missed it, unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, it was an amazing experience. I got to say, not a sports fan, as has been clearly established on this podcast many, many times over. But that is a fun place to go and see a sporting event, Fenway Park. Yeah, I've never been. I've never been. Uh, I, I will agree. Like, although as we noted at the beginning, that baseball is my favorite sport, of course. Um, yeah, of course. But uh, but no, I've never. I've meaning. I no, that is not the case for listeners who don't know. But uh, but yes, I have always wanted to go see a game at Fenway. I yeah, like think I it would be deep. Yeah, like I love you know Toronto. Blue Jays because my kids love them and you know I want to see them win um you know the thing because my kids like them uh you know but but going to the Sky Dome feels it's not a very fun experience to go and watch baseball for me you know like it feels like you feel so far away even when you're up close you still feel like really far away that building is kind of anti antiseptic like I saw ACDC play there and it, the bathroom was full of puke in 1988, and it still felt antiseptic back then, even with the bathtub, with the sinks full of puke, you know, overflowing. Um, but, <laughs> but like Fenway, you feel like you're in, you feel like you're you're on that uh, field, you know, you re- you really feel like you're up close, and it's yeah, it was a fun fun experience, you know, for a non sports fan, it was an A plus thing, you know. The Blue Jays lost, unfortunately, so. I guess if you were a sports fan, it was kind of a bummer. Uh, but I got to eat some pretty good food. So and another nice. check in the wind column. I didn't realize you were actually going to see the Jays play in Boston. That's kind of cool. I thought you were just going to a game because you happened to be there. But that's cool that you lined that up. Yeah, well, the, it was kind of the plan of the trip was to kind of go down there and see this game. Uh, and then, unfortunately, well, fortunately, but unfortunately, I actually had to go away from there for one day briefly. To go to the Warp Tour. <laughs> nice. How was that? Uh, it was a lot of fun. Like, I drove up on a bus with a bunch of people that work at different record labels. And, uh, you know, Vans brought me down there to just hang out and and tell stories and talk about punk music. And, and everyone on the bus was super cool. We had a really fun time. Uh, we got to the Warp Tour. I got to spend maybe... Half an hour, saw a simple plan, and then uh, got into a, a car and had to go to the airport and come back to my family. <laughs> so I, I didn't really actually get to take the whole Warped Tour in. My big goal was that I was going to see Hatebreed. I'm like, oh, I get to see Hatebreed today. How awesome. Missed Hatebreed. Missed uh, Every Time I Die. Missed Harm's Way. Missed, uh, missed 303, who I wanted to see. You know? Didn't get to see them. Did get to see Simple Plan. <laughs> I was like really hoping no they played. Comment. No didn't, comment. Didn't play any reset songs, Chris. Oh, big surprise. What a ripoff. <laughs> Did you, uh, have you ever rubbed uh, shoulders with them? Have you ever mentioned that to them? Uh, I, I like, I rubbed shoulders with them when they were in reset. My old band Promise Kept, my straight edge hardcore band, opened for 
reset one time at a show. It's supposed to be reset in DBS. DBS didn't play, so it was just reset. Um, <laughs> you know, we did a bunch of DBS covers that night, though. Oh, nice. Yeah. Would that have gone on had DBS played as well? No, no. We, we, I think, okay. I think we would have had just enough restraint to not play snowball before DBS got <laughs> on stage. <laughs> to be fair, though, I think in all the times I saw DBS, which wasn't a lot, it's like two or three, I think, and I don't think they ever played it that I saw them. Uh, they played it the first couple times I saw them, or maybe the first time I saw them, but it was still like. Yeah. Not yet. They were out of that phase in their lives pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, they were, they were, uh, you know, doing their, uh, their kind of, you know, more adult pop punk period before yeah. they began the more adult screamo period. Yeah. Where it sort of ended. Yeah. Where it sort of ended. Um, but we, we, will, we will be talking about DBS more in a matter of moments, yeah. you know, cause that did come mm-hmm. up in the, a Davey Havoc episode. We've got basically, I'm going to say this right here, a lot of bases in punk rock covered. You know, we have JD Sampson from men and from La Tigra. We've got mm-hmm. Davey Havoc from AFI and black audio. And we have Dwid from integrity and Psy warfare. Yeah. And there's not another one we're forgetting in there. I thought there was another band. He was also in that's, Oh, Dwight's been in a couple other bands. Sledgehammer. Uh, yeah. No, I meant like I thought there was another contemporary group, but I'm maybe I'm blanking on it. Anyway, yeah. Uh, Integrity 2000? <laughs> yeah, if that counts, sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is – it was – you know, I got to say that, you know, all all three of these ones are amazing because they were ones I've wanted to do. You know, even Davey Havoc Part 3 I've wanted to do. Uh, but I think the thing that made this so special for me is that I finally got to ask to it about the confront seven inch and the pressing well, variations some... on that thing. <laughs> there was a lot in that, that I knew would be, uh, you know, sort of a life goal you yes. know, achievement as far <laughs> yes. as that, from a, well, it's obviously tailored to you specifically, of course, but also tailored to you as a record collector specifically. So, uh, yeah, it was good. Like I, I enjoyed all of all the interviews are great. I, I enjoyed the uh, them for different reasons. Obviously, the Davy one I didn't know what to expect because I I wasn't privy even to you doing that. So when I was listening live or whatever, not live, but when I uh, you know got it, I didn't expect a Davy interview at the end. So I was I was pleasantly surprised. But the uh, the other ones I kind of knew to queue up and like kind of go, okay, what, what are we going to unearth here? <laughs> Well, we've got to, we've got to talk about these episodes, but before we do, Chris, yeah. the reason we're not going to open the mailbag this week is because being at the Warp Tour, um, it inspired me to do a lot of, you know, thinking about the Warp Tour, a lot of reminiscing about the Warp Tour, because this, Chris, okay. as we've discussed off air, is the last year that the Warp Tour will exist in its current form. Yeah, but what do you mean by its current form? Well, I don't know what's going to happen next year. Like, I don't know if it's like the end, end of the tour, but I think this is the end of like this, what it is like, you know, is it the last time we ever hear the word warp tour? I don't know, Mm. maybe, but it's definitely the last time we're ever going to see this kind of warp tour, I think. Yeah. I mean, again, I, I, well, you've gone this year, obviously briefly, Mm -hmm. but uh, Mm -hmm. I haven't been in many, many years. I mean, I think 
the last one. Uh, I'm trying to think of what year that was. That's when I was with you that year when we went up. Um, I had to work it, but I think that was, I want to say, 2006, probably. Yeah, I'd say six. Maybe, maybe five. Can't, I'd say... Can't exactly recall. Well, that year is, fa- is, is one that will go down in infamy. Because yeah, that's you were, the Warp Tour Civil War year. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you want to get into that just yet, but <laughs> well, I but think yeah, I, so we could definitely. Yeah, like we should, I, I think what I want to do, I should lay this out for the audience right now, is have an in-depth discussion about the best Warp Tour lineups ever. <laughs> okay. What was but, your first uh, Warp Tour, Chris? Do you remember that one? Uh, I the only one I ever went to that I didn't have to work was '96, and it was decent. Um, I'm looking at the lineup now, um, which on on the thing I'm looking at here, I'm just trying to see if these groups didn't come to the Canadian dates, but I think they all did. But it's like Rockford and the Crypt. It says Rockford and Crypt, Dancehall Crashers, 311, Deftones, no Red effects. 5. Unwritten Law, Mighty Mighty Boston's No Effects, Pennywise. Oh, who's that? I can't read that. It's besides Civ. Bull? I don't know who that is. And Fishbone. Uh, but yeah, that was a decent lineup. Uh, I do not enjoy some of those groups, but the ones I do, I was really excited to see. And that's the one where I'm foggy on, because you were. I think we had this debate before, because I said I had never seen Pennywise. And I believe you corrected me that they played this, and I, I forgot. Yes. Um, but yeah, they're on the bill, so I have. Oh, seen you them. better believe they played that year, Chris, because you know why. <laughs> yes. First time I got on I stage to sing "Bro Him." There we go. <laughs> I didn't want to uh, ruin your uh, <laughs> the, the resolve there for you. Uh, to all yeah. my friends, present, past, and beyond. There you to go. Those that hey. weren't with us too long. It's a song. I I. <laughs> Well, I am so excited. I'm going to be seeing Pennywise later on this summer uh, down nice. at the House of Vans. And you better believe I'm going to sing Bro Him <laughs> with my knapsack yeah. on my back again. Uh, <laughs> yeah, bring a knapsack, true. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of uh, – but lineups-wise, like the only one I went to sort of in the formative years was that that one. And then – oh, no, sorry. I am wrong. I also went to the following year which was 97, and yeah, actually, this was pretty good, too. Descendants, Royal Crown, uh, Blink-22, I don't remember that. Wow, I don't remember them playing, but okay. Uh, Pennywise again? Wow. i <laughs> sick of it all, Vandals. It's like I've seen Posse Pennywise twice, and I don't remember either instance, but um, I didn't watch a lot of bands this year. I went, but I missed a ton of stuff. Um, Social Distortion, Melancholm, Basic Souls, Suicide Machines, Face to Face, Lagwagon, Boss Tones, Lesson Jake, Hepcat, Real Big Fish. And then there was like the smaller ones where like H2O played the one here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I went Snapcase to Snapcase played in Buffalo. That's right. Snapcase as well. Snapcase headlined, I want to say. They played like. Sick of it all. No, Sick of it all headlined. Sick. No, Snapcase yeah, played the big good. stage in Buffalo, like a huge stage in Buffalo. They did. They did. I can't remember. They played either. Right before or right after Sick of It All. I cannot remember. But, yeah, they were, like, definitely end-of-night material. Yeah, Yeah. and H2O played the small stage. And I remember it was just overwhelmed by, like, Syracuse sluggers in their jerseys, like, moshing 
way harder than I was used to people moshing in Toronto. Yeah, I remember that as well. Uh, I didn't see that. I missed H2O, but I remember them seeing that kind of happen throughout the fest day. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so those are the only two years that I went, um, which probably are not a great, I mean, like considering how many they did isn't a great indicator, I guess, for, for, you know, explaining what it was like. But for those years, I like looking back, there's definitely a lot of solid stuff in that, those two lineups. But, uh, yeah, so I don't know where, where, uh, what, when did you cease? I get, well, or did you cease going? I, my first warp tour was 1995. Um, so and you went that, to the first one. I went to the first yeah. one when it came and it played. Nice. They did Exhibition Stadium. Uh, then, yeah. And then that year after was an incredible one. Uh, I think my last warp Tour, I went I went pretty late because we were still doing tables for Mods and Rockers into the early 2000s. But then I took a couple years off and didn't go back until I went back with you during the infamous warp Tour Civil War year um, mm-hmm. when we worked for Alexis on Fire. We picked our yeah. side that year, Chris, and it was not the side of no effects. It was the side of the Screamos. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just want to say, when you say we, uh, I just want to point out there that we, you you put in some you put in some work, but we didn't work that much. I we worked. <laughs> I'm saying we picked our side because we weren't like you know. Oh no no, but I mean you were you were definitely not stuck in that on behind that merch table the whole day is what I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> no, I walked away a little bit. You know, I yes. didn't get paid either, so you know it was like free yeah, work. Yeah, true. There know? is a really really funny fo- photograph though of me holding uh, all that money. From- yeah, but I don't know where that went or who has it. This is like pre-smartphone. Yeah. And uh, I don't know to this day, but I remember somebody sending that to me. It's actually a great photo. Um, we had a fun time that day. Yeah, it was a good time. It was definitely a, a, a good time. But that that there was that year where I kind of went back. Yeah. And then I think I maybe have been uh, – well, I guess this year. So there's been there's been some like like uh there's some spots in my warp tour record, but that does not change the fact that I did see the greatest warp tour ever. Line well, then ever. I have a question for you. If you hadn't gone back between the whatever 2006 and now, you guys didn't play it ever. No, God, no. No, they really? asked us one year. They asked us, you know. And like I had an amazing experience of the warp tour. I'm not going to shit talk the warp tour. I saw some ridiculous stuff at the warp tour that no, I would no, not for have sure. Seen. I'm just shocked. But I at legit the same time, did play. no, Go when on. they offered, when they were like, Hey, we want to pay you X amount of dollars to do this thing. We're like, we had a band meeting. We're like, how much would it cost for us to actually do it? And we're like, well, yeah. da, da, da. And I remember my stipulation is I'd, I'd have to walk away from the summer with enough money that I could guilt free buy myself a fixed vengeance, seven inch <laughs> and or a necro sex drive, you know, like yeah, guilt free. Like I was no. making enough money to pay my rent. And then I have just yeah. like this wad of cash to buy that. And so, you know, after yeah. doing the math, we came back with a figure that was 10 times their original offer. And they said, there's no way. And that was the yeah. end of the discussion. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was say, like, I don't even think uh, our friends who played it made that much. <laughs> no, we were asking for, we were asking for like, you know, 30 seconds to Mars money. <laughs> Um, (laughs) but like there have been some amazing warp tour lineups, you know, and there have been, you know, at aforementioned bands that have, uh, you know, AFI have played many a warp tour, not many. I think they did two 
or maybe one. Um, yeah, again, the ones I saw, I actually did see AFI once, but not at a warp tour. It was a different festival, having to work again. But uh, I never saw that. That was the only time I've ever seen them. They that, played. Uh, it was in. Go on, sorry. No, I was going to say it was in New York. It was at. Uh, oh, God. It was at. Bamboozle. Giants play. Yeah, there you go. That's it. Um, anyway, that was the only time I ever saw them. So I never saw them on Warp Tour, but uh, uh, I'm just trying to find the year where they first played. I'm kind of shocked they never played any of those first three years, though. Now no, they, look at these flyers. They didn't play till the Warp Tour was at the Toronto Sky Dome, which is, I think, the first year I didn't go, which would have been 2001. Yeah, wow. Like, I'm looking at the. Uh, I'm at. Oh. Nine, seven, eight, nine, nine, two thousand. I don't think they're even on it still. I mean, yeah, two thousand and one. I think was the the year they did it, and it was the year they actually did it in the Sky Dome. Okay, because yeah, that, I think you're correct. Because the two thousand flyer doesn't have them. Where are you seeing all these uh, flyers? I found a link that it's some kind of flicker. I'll send it. Oh, it's to a flicker your... thing. I think I saw that. Vans warped toward. Yeah, just look up. If you if you look up Warp Tour lineup by year, it'll it's within the first two three. Yeah, yeah, I think I did see um, that one. But so yeah, everyone, first, follow along if you're playing at home. <laughs> yeah, the uh, but the first one is oh one. Yeah, that I'm seeing here that they're on. I think ninety ninety uh, ninety eight has a pretty incredible lineup. Like if you if you take away Offspring and uh, Green Day. Uh, you kind of do have the big three headlining it with Bad Religion, Rancid, and No Effects. You don't have Pennywise on that year, which is kind of odd, but you do have mm. Fu Manchu, which is pretty sick, and Civ. Yeah, it's and, what what's the most amazing thing to me now in hindsight, looking at this within the first four or five years here, is the amount that um, the Deftones played it. Because I yeah. we I saw them that whatever that second year I want to say, I thought that was a fluke. I didn't realize they continued to play because I just assumed they blew up and then they never played it again. And then uh, what was the other observation? Oh, the amount Civ played it, like Civ played it three of first four year. of the first years, first year, second year, uh, not third year but fourth year. Like that's yeah. crazy. Three of four of the first years Civ is on that. Yeah. Which yep. just seems kind of wild to me, but then again, it just you know just things I never thought about. Again, I thought Civ, I knew Civ was on the first year, and I missed him on the second year, or them, however you want to phrase that. But uh, yeah, it's anyway, yeah. So Chris, this builds me builds it to where I wanted to go with this thing, which is mm. yeah, to me the best year of the Warp Tour. That nineteen ninety nine Warp Tour lineup is ridiculous. Mm, let me look here. So, um, I said, I hope I have the right year. Oh no, I have two thousand ninety nine. You said yeah, ninety nine. Yeah, Cypress Hill. Okay, so it's Cypress Hill, Blink, Seven Dust, Molotovs, Suicide Tendencies, Lesson Jake, Ice T, Vandals, Dropkick Murphys, Bouncing Souls, H two O, River Phoenix, spelt very strangely. Yeah, I no, that, that was a pop punk band thing. <laughs> Uh, Pennywise, Grinspoon. I also don't know them. Living in Black IPs. Wow, uh, amazing crowns. Yeah. Prefergie. All systems go. Yeah, Frenzel Rom. Seven seconds. Lit Royal Crown Review. And it says and more. So I don't know who. Well, but, the uh, and more is also where they're burying the lead with this one, Chris, because it was Eminem, 
during like the cage beef era. And <laughs> okay. also Scarhead. Wow. I think you've talked about this before on the show, I feel like. But yeah, um this lineup specifically meaning not just warp tour. But um yeah, I again I didn't go in this year, but I will say for ninety nine this is a pretty decent lineup. It's Especially unreal. Scar- yeah. Imagine like thinking about that at one point in that warp tour, like the people that could have been in line for commissary together. They call it commissary. <laughs> yeah. no, they, uh, catering. Sorry, catering. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> could be commissary too. Uh, it, it would have been, it would have been incredible to be on that one. Uh, but like it's, it's nuts when you go, when you see them all back to back like this and you see all these lineups. Side by side, it's wild who played this thing. What I'm most intrigued by is seeing how many of the groups played it year on year on year and thinking like, wow, you like that. If, if for those who don't know, like kind of the touring schedule of this yeah. festival, it's really, really grueling, especially if you don't have a bus uh, because you're more or less traveling overnight to get to. Lodins are crazy. Like you have to be there. It's like eight in the morning or something. Um, so it's, it's wild. Like you basically sleep, you either don't sleep or you sleep very little and it's, yeah, it's just wild for like the smaller groups, especially. Um, so just seeing how many of these groups did it year on year is wild. And now, you know, it makes sense as to why the TV show came eventually and all that stuff. Like what, what you're saying with the beef year and all that, like, cause of how many times like Wolfax had done it or bands like that. It's yeah. Like it is by far got to be one of the more grueling tours you could do, mm-hmm. you know, given, especially like if you're one of those bands that has to set up stuff or, or make food for people. Yeah. Oh yeah. Cause there's that whole thing where like there were bands that that was how they got on the tour was earning their keep. Yeah. I, I never, again, I don't know a lot of the lore about this. I mean, I've heard things from you over the years and I, again, I'm aware of the, that television show thing. I've never seen it. I, I've actually always wanted to see it. But, it's an amazing um, watch. What what sort of like again? I was not privy to any like certainly in these years that we're discussing, like up to thousand or whatever. Um, I just thought I knew it was a festival, and you know they had bands I liked or whatever on occasion, and I would go. But the sort of uh, you know the idea of like like the after party thing. Like like the barbecue, the barbecue stuff and all yeah. that, like learning about all that kind of stuff after years later, and then like kind of having toured with, uh, you know, with bands that had sort of taken a part in it and whatever. It was just bizarre, like bizarre, but kind of interesting to hear about like kind of that world, and just not, you know, not even thinking about that in those early years. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Like you, well, you guys asked, didn't tour, but we, our friends, our mutual friends, did, and they told us tales of like the barbecue stuff and the awkwardness amongst the, you know, the us versus them, uh, Sonic beef. <laughs> well, yeah, it was definitely like, you know, it was that sort of punk cliche of the new punk moving in and the old punk being like, Oh, this guy doesn't know what punk is played out, put on like a whole tour full of bands. Yeah. And then it kind of played out, I imagine, for, you know, the next few years over and over again. Like, I wasn't there, so maybe I'm, I'm misreading it. But I've always found that fascinating, like, that, that you did have that kind of changing of the guard at a certain point. Well, yeah, that was, again, like, I didn't go from 
97, or well, whatever, let's say 98 forward to 2000 and again, five or six, I can't remember. So yeah, it was completely different when we went that year like, yeah. to what I was used to. And I, I didn't know, I really didn't know, I would say the vast majority of the bands. And it blew my mind that it was still, it was like, well, it was not still big, it was even bigger. And it was just a whole other world that I was not like aware of. Um, so yeah, I, I can see that being a you know uh, like a clash, to speak. Yeah, like it, it, it. I think that's the problem is is you're eventually going to have, you know, the the thing with punk is like everyone's definition of what this is and isn't is is totally, you know, not always in line. Yeah, for sure. I think though, for some, for like speaking to like what I know of little of the of the conflict of which I don't think is a thing anymore, or maybe it is, but, um, you know, I get that sort of the festival started off as something that it later was not, or is not, arguably now. So I kind of understand that idea of, of like, being opposed to that. I don't agree, because I don't care, but... Um, yeah, but it's weird, because, like, the festival is always different, right? Like, yeah, I guess. youth culture changed, and I think the culture that it was featuring got more popular and that yeah. of course changed it. But like, you know, look at that very first year, like none of those bands like fit into a genre. Yeah. Like I suppose you're correct. I think in my mind, when I thought of like, a, like, a, well, and again, perhaps these are not the greatest examples of diversity in music per se, but no, they're sorry. fairly diverse, all things considered. But, um, I thought of things like, say, something like a Lollapalooza, the original run of those, yeah, as like the diverse festival. Whereas I saw the Warp Tour as like you know the quote unquote punk festival. And yeah, I know mm-hmm. you're going to see a, a rap group and you're going to see like some stuff that's not quite that. But for the most part, it was that kind of a thing to me in my head. Um, like you were not, I mean, to me, like you weren't seeing Nick Cave at a Warp Tour. No, you know what I mean, or something like that. So, and again, it's not better or worse inherently. I'm just saying, like, that was my observation early on. But Crime did play a warp tour. <laughs> True. In 99. So did, yeah, and so did, I mean, there's a lot of great, like, even I think Fear did. I think TSOL toured it for a while. Like, they've had. Yeah, they're on one of the years on the actual flyer here. Uh, 90. Or maybe 2000? Yeah, 2000, they're on the flyer. And, like, you know, they've always kind of had... It's it's like, you know, especially that 99 year, like where you have Eminem, Black Eyed Peas, uh, Ice-T, Suicidal Tendencies, Cypress Hill, um, you know, Seven Seconds, uh, H2O, Bouncing Souls, Dropkick Murphys. Like, what what a crazy lineup that thing had. Scarhead. <laughs> yes, the most important part. Yes, Scarhead. Um, I'm not saying that ironically. That's I mean, the I'm only truly... time I got to see Scarhead live. I never, and I never did. Yeah, so you should have gone to more warp tours. I definitely should have. Well, that one at least. Yeah, you should have gone to that one. That would have been the one that I would say well, the one, the one you went to. It's it's a pretty ridiculous lineup. Like Rock from the Crypt, No Effects, The Deftones. Pennywise, Fishbone, like that's a that's a wild bill. 
It was cool. Like even the uh, the local stage or whatever in that year, which again, the years we're talking about too for the the younger folks that only experienced it in the last like whatever five to ten years. Like back when the, those ones were referencing, I think they only had that ninety six year only had didn't it have just the main stage and just the one other stage, like the local stage essentially. The ninety six year had no because remember the stage. The 96 year, it was like a, a stage that was split into two. And yeah. it would be like one stage would, would go. set up while the other one, yeah. Yeah, and then they also had like, I think, yeah, it was like a local, like, yeah, tra- so it was like a trailer truck stage in the back. Exactly. Yep. So it was essentially only three stages, but only two ever going simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whereas the last year I went to work it, it had like, I don't even remember how many stages. It was yeah. like, like way too many, like. I think it's four. I think there was like five this year when I was there. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, like it definitely grew as a tour too. Like that first year, they only had like the one main stage and then the smaller stage. The first year though, the smaller stage, it's ridiculous when you look at who played that. Like Tilt, Into Another, Civ, um, uh, Swing and Utters, you know, Vizzo, Good Riddance, Trigger Happy in Toronto. Yeah, that like, yeah, that's the 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 smaller stages were always more my bread and butter. To be honest, I wanted to see some of the big groups, but I would usually always try and catch someone on the the small stage and usually miss them for whatever reason. <laughs> yeah. Which Motorport Park, like '96, it was Civ I missed, and then the next year it was H2O I missed in Buffalo. Uh, but yeah, it's yeah. But anyway, you were saying so. Which so you're saying the definitive lineup for you is '99? Is what you're saying? I think 99 is like the most interesting to me. Gotcha. Um, but there, there, you know, I could, there are arguments. I've heard arguments made by a lot of people about other years being better. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I, I still, I'm going to still stick with uh, 99 for me. Is there a consensus like best year that like is bandied about? I think 99. I've heard 99 a lot. Some people okay. say 96. I've heard 96. Like people say 96. I put this out on my my uh, Twitter account today. And, you know, there are people coming back being like, no, 96 was better. And 96 is awesome. Like, you know, it's kind of undeniable too, right? Like Rock from the Crypt and as as we said, No Effects and Pennywise, et cetera. But I don't know. That 99 lineup, it's got, it's got some like outliers out there. Some never shall they meet, but in the backstage – catering lineup at the warp tour type <laughs> things happening. Well, I think like uh when I'm looking at this Cypress Hill in 99 still would have been very interesting to see. Suicidal Tendencies same. Ice T of course. Vandals, mini body count set too. Nice. Uh yeah. Dropkick in 99 would probably have been okay, but it's weird like did they play earlier than that? Yeah, they did. They did the uh was it 97? No, no, they did 90 99, 98. Yeah, the year before it looks like I'm trying to find it. But yeah, so I don't know, that would have been I don't see them on the 98 uh, flyer. No do I, but I, also... I thought they did play 98 because that was just after Al Barr joined as the singer. Yeah. So it just, yeah, there would have been, I mean, Balancing Souls played some of the earlier ones, so I already saw them. H2O was a main bill, though, on the flyers. Interesting. Pennywise again. 
Black Eyed Peas, Seven Seconds. Yeah, like so there were only a few. I still think I like the '96 or '97 more, but there was some interesting stuff on '99. If we were to judge by the worst metric available to us, which is album sales, uh, <laughs> I would think '99 is the one that takes it. It's kind of hard because, yeah, like, one that. of these lineups has Katy Perry on it, right? Because she did her first tour on the second stage of one of the Warp tours. <laughs> That's hilarious. But I still think, like, Eminem, Black Eyed Peas, uh, Cypress Hill, Ice T, and Blink One Eighty Two, of course, uh, have got like that's like th- those are multi platinum selling artists right there. Hmm. I think it's funny that Cypress Hill is billed higher than what Blink One Eighty Two on this flyer. Well, it was pretty early in Blink One Eighty Two, and I remember there was like so much heat towards Blink One Eighty Two from a lot of the other bands at that point. Because they because they were their lyrics were considered you know and and rightfully so kind of misogynist um, and a lot of the bands had heat towards them backstage and it was just hmm. when they were kind of blowing up. Weird, okay. Because it's I don't like again they're on ninety seven I don't I do not remember them on ninety seven either. But uh, yeah, I definitely remember them on ninety seven. It's funny like I was on uh, this podcast this week talking about Blink. Uh, 182, Blink 155, Josiah and Sam's uh, Blink podcast. Uh, and we were talking about them, and it's like they played Canada a lot because they also did Snow Jam, I think, twice. And they did a Canadian tour one time with 10 Days Late. Okay. I never, uh, or Body Jar and 10 Days Late. Gotcha. I'm not a, I've never been a Blink guy, so I don't know, but, um, yeah, I don't know. But that's that year, though, 99. I think that's, that's, <laughs> that's the your one year? That wins, okay. That's the one that wins the Billboard Award, too. It's a cool year. For me, because I didn't go to the first year, I like the first year. But um, And again, a lot of the latter year stuff I'm not terribly into, so I can't really compare to the earlier years. But um, yeah, I remember being and still being kind of bummed I never saw Quicksand or those bands, Seaweed even, in that era. Um so yeah, would be mine. Would be the first one, but that's kind of the the obvious answer guy to say if you're someone like me. The first one has my favorite memories because it was in the exhibition, like where you know yeah. it's like a big fair here in Toronto, and yeah. there was the food pavilion, and it's when you could still go around the food pavilion and just get free samples of all this shit. Like now, that does not happen. But back mm. then, they used to offer like all these free samples of stuff, and so my friend and I just. Uh, Simon and us, shout out Simon. I uh, just walked around there and ate the whole time. Got really bad heat stroke and a really <laughs> bad sunburn. Um, you but, know what's something? Sorry to cut off. No, go. Continue. I, have some, I know I have something to add that I just noticed here. On the poster, unless there is another group of a diff, of a very similar but different, just slightly different name that I'm not aware of, if you look up, if you found that link uh, on the first year's poster, it has like the main, the main lineup, and then if you look at the there's red text sort of almost near the bottom, and it's like kind of the lower quote unquote lower tiered groups, and one of them is listed as swinging udders, yeah, with two, yeah. two, two D's. D's, yeah, spelled spelled incorrectly. Which so if that is the actual swinging, udders, no, that is no, that is because that's where I met them. That, that so I that's met, even as like a kid, I. I totally punished the shit out of that band. Like just, <laughs> just, it must've been relentless. 
Like I, <laughs> I can't believe how kind they were. It was a bass player who uh, I think left the band just around streets of San Francisco time. And okay. I just like, I just like dug in those claws and just was like, yeah, blah, 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 talking about punk and all this sort of stuff, you know, probably asked for his email address, like all sorts of embarrassing shit. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like it, it was, they, it was the swing and utters and it was so awesome. Like still one of my favorite seeing a band experiences to this day. Yeah. See, I, I still never saw them. And, uh, I just find it funny that someone spelled the name wrong on the flyer. They're coming but, through, uh, uh, soon. Yeah. I, I, I can accept that in 2018, I, I don't need to see them anymore. But, Dude, um, they played Wind Spitting Punk. I saw them two years ago at the Fat Records Festival thing that happened. Yeah. They opened with Wind Spitting Punk, and I teared up instantly. It was <laughs> they're, they're, they're a great awesome. band. I, it was I awesome, Chris. They, they still like – if they played Dirty Sea, I would have just bawled uncontrollably the whole time. <laughs> they're, they're a cool band. I think in the right circumstance, I might be into it, but – I don't see myself going out of my way, unfortunately. But uh, well, they're great. I, I like their stuff. I'm going to have to change that. We'll see. We'll see when they come to town. If I can f- find a way to get you out there. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> but go on. <laughs> uh, I think that's it for the Warp Tour. Uh, yeah. So we yeah. say rest in peace to the longest running, uh, I guess, international touring music festival. Uh, and in all its incarnations, it served as, you know, a great way to, uh, a great way for kids to kind of get into music and, you know, not always the best people in all these bands. Got to say that can't, can't avoid saying that some real monsters found their way on that tour. And unfortunately probably, you know, it's not great that that was also part of it but also it was a place where bands came together and stood up to said monsters in some cases and got them kind of dealt with on the tour so you know warp tour you know it's 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 one <laughs> <laughs> out for your homies yeah yeah four one out for it if you if you're so inclined and if like you know even if you didn't like the warp tour chances are you know like it helps shape your your choice of music too so no matter what, it's like one of those things that's kind of unavoidable, like taxes and Devo. <laughs> taxes. Yeah. Continue. That okay. is, that's a funny way to summarize it. It's unavoidable. <laughs> yeah. uh, there's uh yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm like in lost in these lineups that you sent me ever since you sent me this link to these flyers. Uh, yeah. For Warp Tour 08. Was that the year, Chris, yep. that we went and worked it? No, I'm pretty sure. I just um, I found it. I think it's 05 was the year we were there. I just looked it up. Where is it? Okay. And then because... 08 the year they made the TV show about it, I think. Yeah, so maybe we were just pre that. I don't know. I think pre we were. The... But, yeah, 08, 05 must have been the Civil War. But I know, I know um, from first to last is on the TV show because it's when Skrillex – decides to quit from first to last and ultimately becomes Skrillex that was like kind of unfolded on the course of that season over the course of that season. Yeah. Which is a, such a bizarre thing in my head that that still is that connection. There's a band um, on this year's warp tour called ice nine kills, Chris. And I yeah. first, I thought it was ice nine 
And I was like, yeah, whoa. <laughs> exactly when you said that, I was like, oh, weird. And But then you yeah, added the other word. But yeah, yeah that would have been strange. No, actually, so the year here is 2006. Um, because I'm seeing Alexis on Fire on it, whereas it was they were not on any of the other ones. So yeah, and I don't think Fall Out Boy was on it. Um, yeah, so, I remember No Effects on it because I think No Effects. Honestly, I think that's one of the times they played the decline. Oh, my, maybe I don't that one. I don't know, but also here's another weird thing I was thinking about this weekend when I was on that road trip with my kids and I was forcing them to listen to some of the Turn It Punk playlists that I've made. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, the decline, that record kind of like, you know, that, that was the great achievement of the Epifat era, right? Like artistic achievement, not commercial achievement. Okay. I don't know. Like where, like, like, yeah, I suppose it's probably for me the most interesting. Yeah, it's definitely, it's like, it holds up so, so well. Like, you know, it's one of those songs that I think. (laughs) <laughs> even makes more sense today than it did then. Yes, I do think. To be fair here, that you like it way more than I do. But, yeah, but, but I yes. think. But like, what you know has, like, what would be the other great? You know, I guess propaganda. Propaganda would be the other. I guess in theory, yeah. But I, I know what you're saying. I just it's 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 just amusing to me that you gush about the decline, but I, I get it. I do get it. I remember them playing it that night. And even though that was like kind of at the height of my, I'm over it phase. I was like, mm-hmm. yo, this song's fucking incredible. <laughs> like watching it. Yeah. That was, uh, I recall that. Yeah. You, you, that year you were still in prime, prime, uh, like sort of peak Damien, if you will. Well, I, I'd argue that right now I'm in peak Damien, but I would accept that you mean like straight edge, argumentative, uh, like you know, just just hardcore, obsessive nerd type. Yeah, that was kind of the peak of that. Yes, that's what I mean. Yes, um, and it was definitely though that No Effects song brought me right back to peak Damien in still straight edge, <laughs> but like doing mountain rockers freaking out over yeah. the fact that decline had just come out. I remember Ten the first time prior. I heard that song, Chris, I remember where I was. <laughs> I, don't, I don't doubt it. I, I don't know why that, well, I, I know why it made an impression on you, but see like my memory of that song is I remember working in a record store when it came out thinking it was decent, but that I wasn't terribly, moved by it but i just thought oh this is a really mature thing to make and then that's about it (laughs) so but uh it's definitely you know it's an achievement i don't know if i could put anything else they've done on par with it as far as it's uh it's merit artistically and certainly politically relevant but yeah uh it's decent it's fine well that's you know, not the level of excitement I had when I came upon this realization <laughs> in the car. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not trying to throw any shade. I just, you know, it's, I just funny. It's funny that you were, you were moved by it more than I was to this day. I like it. I like that you're into it. I just, it's never, I don't know. I don't, I could take it or leave it. It's fine by me. What are your top 10, top five uh, songs over 10 minutes in punk? Oh, God, because I got to say that's that's pretty close to number one for me. 
there's that mind eraser record where I think the songs are are they over ten minutes? I cannot remember, but the that's a difficult one because I always viewed the decline as isn't it? It's is it one song? I thought it was always like four tracks separated. Dude, it's one it's like complete song. Ones. Well, yeah, but it's more or less like an EP with like four parts. I never. Uh, uh, I think it's like a like a piece of music with like a couple movements involved in it, but you know, it's one yeah, cohesive you know piece. I mean. Yeah, I guess I don't know. I never. I don't think about. I don't know the length of it. Never really occurred to me. I think I thought it was multiple songs, but um, yeah, I don't know. That's a very difficult thing to say because I don't know who's has ten minute plus long punk songs besides you and No Effects. Yes, well, and I think you know who inspired who on that one. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, where Mike do you would never admit that, to- but but that, <laughs> I can admit it. Uh, yeah, like let's get into the episode, I guess. Now, I guess we bullshit enough. Yeah. Oh, actually, I got to say, no, I did pick up some records today. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. And one thing that I picked up that was pretty, you know, like I picked up like the Nardwar uh, comp. Oh my God, my mom's on channel 70. Do you have that comp? Uh, no, not that one. It's like his garage comp. And, you know, I picked up a couple other singles, but the thing that I picked up, well, actually something I picked up that you might care about, Chris, is the Sucker Punch Armed and Hammered Split 7-inch. Nice, yeah. Some Canadian classic. But the other thing I got was the Hagfish 7-inch on BYO. Nice. But yeah. it includes a press packet, which has in <laughs> it uh, some quotes about band members and certain dates, right? So one is of a course. picture of the band, a promo shot, and it says, January 28th, 1978, Frank Sinatra tells the enemy, punk rock is a bad scene, and I don't understand why it has to exist. Hagfish guitarist <laughs> Zach Blair, age four, <laughs> Forgets to take his Ritalin and smacks Frank right in the kisser, proving his point. Blair then spends the rest of his life trying to emulate Sinatra's opening act, Don Rickles. Hagfish, rock your lame ass, London Records. Wow. Yeah. So hold on. It's a promo from that, but it's the 7-inch. I didn't know that it was 7-inch off that. Well, it is 7-inch on BYO in 1994. Yeah, but it was pre that LP. That's why I'm thinking, like, what is? I think this was, was like the about? press pack that someone sent out because it also came with a sticker for. Oh, uh, gotcha. With for, the first record, I see. With for yeah, but I think someone like sent out the seven inch with these promo sheets in it, and that's what I got at the record store today. But um, yeah, I was pretty stoked to get this. This is like definitely a turned out a punk find if there ever was one. Yeah, for sure. It was at my friend's uh, spot. My friend kind of runs the record thing at BMV. Uh, and that's the exact same place I got that Ryan Adams, uh, Brian Walsby, seven inch from. Yeah, I remember when you told me you scored it. Yeah. So here, the, there we go. Uh, so like it turned out a punk needful things. Every time I go in there, I find something from turned out a punk's. Uh, you know, <laughs> ex- extremely long want list. If I walk in there one day and find the baby Gopal on pink LP there, nice. Chris, yeah, oh, I'm yeah. gonna know something's up. Yep. Do it. Yep. Um, uh, sidebar since you brought it up what about Hagfish having a 7 inch on go-kart <laughs> speaking yeah. of craziness in general and it looks very similar to the, the 7 inch that you scored today um, they we've gone through the Hagfish discography have we? yeah oh, we, wh- why did we do that on the yeah, show? themed go-kart put out a record by everybody and it still blows my mind Oh, it's, a, it's one of the 
one of the truly great labels, but as we found out, uh, didn't pay all the bands. <laughs> <laughs> that seven yeah, was so... probably paid for by uh, by uh, uh, anti flood. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what um, was that? The end of your scores from uh, today? That was the end of my scores for today. What else did I? Uh, I'm trying to think if I, I actually. Uh, it's weird that the seven inch says it came out in 1993 for this hagfish record, but the yeah. art on the cover is copyright 1994. Hmm. Well, and Rocks Your Lame Ass came out in '95, so it, clearly it's yeah some kind of weird mishmash in there. I wonder if they put out that EP and London Records just yeah oh they did they just took one song off it and reissued it. When they did their version of uh, of Stamp. Yeah, yeah. God, I got to find this. Hagfish record collecting is, is a frustrating game. <laughs> yeah. There's not a lot of it. And some of it's really hard to find. Um, yeah, which but, is strange. Like, the especially the one you're talking about there. But uh, well, I feel like we've sidebarred here. We need to get to the episode. Yeah, we need to kind of get to the episode. But, well, we kind of... Kind of should talk about it because, uh, you know, I'm going to do this uh, live turn out a punk thing, unfortunately, midweek, Chris. So uh, work would not permit, but I am doing it with Zach Blair to We're... not taking your place at all at all, but he's going to be <laughs> on the stage with me. So well, he will be kind of joining the turned out a punk family, which is like you and me are the mom and dad. <laughs> and, or no, no, or the dad and dad, or the mom and mom, or or whatever yeah, uh, yeah. parents want to identify as. But we are the parents, and then yeah. our children are are Dave Martin, David Up, <laughs> and now we invite Zach Blair. Nice. Yeah, A lot of our great. kids take after me in their hair. <laughs> the um, uh, that Zach will be great. Yeah, that, I, I that'll be cool. Yeah, you've been on tour with Zach before. Yeah, not like with the band he was in, but yeah, we were on the road with uh, Only Crime for a time. Yeah, yeah, nice guy. Yeah, great, great uh, friend of the show, responsible for you know half of the greatest turned out a punk episode ever. The other half being MVP, the infamous episode one hundred and one. Um, go and listen to it if <laughs> yeah. you haven't. Trust me, mm-hmm. the payoffs are many in that one. Um, but anyway. We've got to talk about some of the other greatest episodes of all time, which are these current two episodes of Turn Out a Punk. What number? Are, what, I'm actually now legitimately curious because, you know, I wonder what number of episodes we are at now, Chris, with Turn Out a Punk. 177. 177. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's crazy. Okay. 177 with the bullet, Dwid, and 176, Shady Sampson. With the surprise guest tacked on the end, we are on a great two week run. We got to dive into it, Chris. Where do we start? Let's start with uh, the JD episode. Uh, are you or yeah. were you a fan of La Tigra at any point? Yeah, like La Tigra. Um, it's funny, actually, the, the part about that interview I found the most um, interesting, having not really researched JD very much in depth. Uh, I wasn't aware that. Um, Sort of, they had a lineup, and then she was sort of a later addition or whatever. I, I just assumed that the band started with that intent of the ex people involved, and that's how it worked. But and also that 
you know, she didn't consider herself uh, like a musician, essentially. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a, a funny but interesting idea, um, especially given that, I don't know, I feel that I, I just, when you see people involved in music, it's strange to me when they don't, although I understand that on a personal level. But um, for people that I've seen like and, and like their material, it, it blows my mind when they don't consider themselves that at a certain point. Well, I think that's the thing about her story that I found so incredible is like I could you know I, I didn't obviously experience anything like Lee Tigra experienced or what you know she experienced in Lee Tigra but you know I did experience what it's like to kind of become somewhat hyped for a time yeah. and mm-hmm. just kind of what a mind fuck that is but for me it was such a you know a gradual kind of thing you know I couldn't imagine to be just thrust into that position like overnight from the sounds of it. Well, yeah. And then like, I just, I don't know if I have a foggy recollection about this group, but, um, I do not remember the major label thing for whatever reason. So when that whole thing got touched upon, I just thought, Oh wow. Like, why don't I remember this now that I'm looking at like kind of the records at at the minute, I remember this Island, like the record, but I don't, you know, now seeing it, oh, okay, it's a major whatever, or like co-major release or whatever. But uh, I don't, that never jumped out to me at the time. It really didn't, that that they had made that jump for whatever reason. Yeah, um, like it felt kind of natural by that point, you know, I guess. Yeah, I think if they had, you know, especially if Kathleen had done that with that first record coming off of Bikini Kill, it probably would have been a little bit jarring to see Yeah, yeah. that kind of transition. But I think by that point, it kind of felt, you know, they had they had, had kind of almost I remember going into like some clothing store in the mall and a person I was dating at the time, I'm pretty sure it wasn't Lauren, it was before Lauren was buying something, and they gave them a sampler CD, and on the sampler CD, uh it was like there was a Latigra song. And it was just like nice. whoa. They're like playing it in the store too. You know, when we were in there, and it's like, holy geez, they've they have like truly crossed over. Like they have become like a, a pop act and like, you know, like they didn't become, you know, Beyonce <laughs> level of stardom or anything, but like still yeah. like it was still at a point when that was really rare to see. Yeah. And I think, um, it's just, it's funny again, how time quickly goes. Cause I, I didn't think these records were as old as they are. Like that first one comes out in 99. Yeah. And I just, I think it's cool that first one also, because I was aware of the Mr. Lady like self-titled album. I never heard that Hot Topic EP or whatever for whatever reason. But I like that Ouija released that. That's cool. Yeah. Um, Which again relates to like all these other things I like. But um, the one that really floored me that they did was uh, that second EP from the desk of Mr. Lady, which that song, Get Off the Internet, if you haven't heard that, any listeners out there, there i'm sure you maybe have uh dane but it's great yeah um but yeah like all their stuff like of that era is great i i like this group so i am only really aware of jd with their like the involvement in this group i'm aware of that men exist but i didn't i'd never really gotten into it there's actually like i also checked out some jay's got like a new track up there that i put on the playlist too once again those playlists are you know just search turn out a punk and then the guest name on the Spotify streaming service, but that's just because that's the one I have 
it, someone's putting up on Google too. So hopefully they're still putting that up on Google play and then hopefully someone does it on Apple music eventually, or maybe I'll get access to all those things. Probably not going to pay for all those things. No, that's not going to happen. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, so I, I put it up. I'm trying to remember the name of the song. That's just what I'm looking up and awkwardly filling time to find out. Don't even try. Um, and it's under her name, like solo or what? Yeah, you just look up act? Janie Sampson and it's like, the, I think the latest okay. track and, it, and it's a sick song. Um, cool. But I like, I also loved, you know, like talk about someone getting into it a completely different way than anyone else who's been on the show. Like, I don't think anyone has gotten into it by just trying to read zines and magazines, uh, like th- these particular kind of like, I guess more kind of mainstreamy, but like queer zines, like part of the kind of like continuum of queer l- zines that goes back to like fifth column and like all that kind of stuff. Yeah, for sure. I, I thought even like the, the choices of groups like within that that she was exposed to was interesting. Yeah. Like tribe no no one on that you've interviewed said tribe eight as their first exposure. You know No, but they've come which, up they came up again on the Pansy Division episode, so Oh yeah, but, yeah, they come up, but I just mean like that's cool. Like it's yeah. definitely not the same intro that a lot of people have had. Yeah. Including myself. Yeah, absolutely. No, definitely same here. But like also, it's it's awesome because it's let me kind of rediscover Tribe Eight, like a band I haven't listened to in years. Um, but yeah, gone same. back and listened to it again, yeah. It's, it, and they they hold up, man. They're, like some of those songs are like just as like jarring as they were when I was a kid hearing them for the first time. Yeah, like again, I only had limited exposure long ago, but uh, I haven't revisited it. That interview, a lot of what was discussed in it were things that I was like, as they came up, I think I was thinking I, I need to re-listen to these groups because mm-hmm. I hadn't, again, like when you're making your through, like I've, I've listened to things here and there like that, but I hadn't like team, team drench. I'd never really listened to or dresh, pardon me. Um, but, uh, what else came up? I'm just looking at the list here. Team Dretch was like, like uh, go on, sorry. No, no, go. Cool. Yeah. No, I was going to say Team Dretch is one of those bands that like really kind of feels like, you know, um, you know, hasn't had that. Maybe they have actually, but I just been unaware of it. Like that rediscovery point, you know? Yeah. The name seemingly gets thrown around, on, at least in a few interviews that you've done. I've noticed more prevalently lately, but, um, kind of with you i think they're one of those groups that hasn't really received that second wave yet again maybe i'm wrong too but um i think they're low-key low-key like um revival hype right now but I, I don't think it's like the level that it should be really yeah no it it, it was a uh this was like a fun episode like I, I wish we had a little more time to kind of get into you know late tigra ending and the kind of the you know, what it was like to kind of hit that point where, you know, that rides over and you got to start a new one. Like, you know, and that's your first band, you know, like the first band breaking up is always like a weird thing to have to deal with. Yeah, for sure. The other uh, side that I don't know how we avoided up to this point, because I'm just reading the synopsis again going, oh yeah, like the journey and then ska being such like a main <laughs> thing. Like that threw me way like wicked curveball. I just thought, what is that is like not what I expected mm. at all. But also, has anyone been on the show 
and like had such disdain for like a part of their like music trip. You know, like when she brought up ska, she was just like so dismissive of it. Like, like I don't <laughs> well, want to. Like, no, let's not not even go there. <laughs> but I think it's cool when someone talks about it in like their their journey. Like, perhaps they don't like it anymore, or whatever. But I was like just amazed at some of the stuff that came up in there. Like, I, I would never have thought, never ever would have thought <laughs> that that was one of the uh, influences to. A certain degree yeah well let's say uh that's the great thing about this show is once in a while you really like really so like to know that like somewhere in late tigra there is some sort of like reaction to mustard plug going on yeah or even <laughs> like the fact that she mentioned the toasters is what blew my mind more than anything else because i had friends in whatever in the 90s that definitely liked that ska stuff but like the like mustard plug was never one of those groups that they they like kind of went off about but the toasters were for whatever reason so that was strange to hear like that one dropped out of anything like the only thing that could have done like like literally sealed it for me is if she mentioned like mephiscopheles or something and i would have like just thought that was the most hilarious thing ever well because i think like you know mustard plug and no disrespect to mustard plug like i played with them before and like I yeah. certainly owned some mustard plug records in my time. Um, but, it, you know, and, and actually we played with them not too long ago in Detroit and they are fucking ginormous. And it's like, it was a wild show. Um, but at the same time, like, I think they were like part of more of a ska punk scene, whereas the toasters were seen as being like kind of part of that, like moon ska, like, you yeah. know, quote unquote, more authentic ska, I guess, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I agree. Yeah. Uh, I also like you know I and I and I do uh, I I like ska like I you know I like some of it. I never... felt so dirty. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I never really got into like I I, fuck with I, again, I yeah like I never never got into those bands all that much but I don't like you know I don't have a major aversion to it I just it's not really my thing yeah but, um, there were certainly like group that i could tolerate more than others <laughs> um you say that as yeah, you're wearing your sublime shirt <laughs> yeah that was not one that i ever liked that group for sure but um uh i yeah speaking with like just a random anecdote on that um i'm amazed that the life of sublime as like a cultural hallmark has not dwindled for whatever reason no it's, if, if anything it that. increases like now it's like yeah deity type status given like to I, like I'm going to go so far as to say this I don't know what it is but I feel like whatever broadly term you want to call whatever sublime came from if if I were so be so be so bold as to say like you know alternative music or punk music or Scott whatever you want to say they're like the the zeitgeist thing for them is they're like they're like the grateful dead to that yeah and i yeah, don't definitely. know why because well, it kind of is jam bandy like you know it's not like it doesn't sound like the toasters or, or mustard plug even or you know yeah it sounds like but jam band has, ska but it also has like the the aesthetic you know what i mean like it has that weird like you'll always see that there's a person you will encounter every now and again it's like sublime 
Yeah. And they have like the aesthetic is the same and it's just, it's yeah, it, it just blows my mind. Anyway, I go on. You no, know, no, no. I, I, I'm going to have to go off on your sidebar for a sec. Yeah. As, yeah. as like, uh, like a, uh, like a kid who's gone on or a kid, an adult who's gone on about the time as a kid that I paid way too much money for a black flag process of weeding out CD and how it affected my <laughs> listening of the band very early on. Cause yeah. it was like $30. I did the same thing with sublime where I'd seen their mm. shirts and I'd saw them in like, like always like adjacent to punk stuff. You know, yeah. and I remember reading a review for them and it was like, blah, blah. So I, it was like early on, it was before they had that big hit, um, yeah, crossover yeah. hit. And I bought a CD, an import CD at the CD store up the street from my house. And it was a used CD, but it was still like expensive because it was like this like import thing. So I bought this CD and I remember getting it home and man, was I disappointed. Like, this is what this band sounds like. <laughs> well, I think the the other way of of like summarizing this for like like sort of a, something that doesn't exist any longer, uh, in sort of sort of pre internet or early internet terms, that is, um, their aesthetic or at least the looming uh, aspect of their aesthetic or what they were like that name, seeing that on like anywhere, or like you're saying, reading a review early on or whatever, it almost had like that op ivy. Yeah, and I'm, I, uh-huh. like, like it doesn't at all, but it had that where it's a lore like, to oh, it. This is like this is the new newer Op Ivy thing. This yeah. will be that. Yeah, and it's like no, <laughs> like like. But you're right. I think that's what you stumbled into there. But yeah, we didn't now, realize that that was Danielle Steele's son's band. <laughs> yes, but also it it then became like now it's like I said it's like it's like the Grateful Dead of this. I don't know what. Yeah. Like I can't think of anything else that has that sort of weird, lasting, bizarre, like not. I I don't even know how to summarize it, but yeah, it's such a social distortion. Yeah, that's the grateful. No, but it's it's, no, but yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, one hundred percent. It's it is sublime. Like if Sublime was still going today, they would have. They could be on that Grateful Dead circuit. Yeah, and I think though, like, but I think you're bang on with saying that. Like um, social D though does have that same sort of oh, transcendent thing. But it's, it's the like, misfits. It's one hundred percent the misfits. Yeah, there we go. Or like something like that. Like it, it would be like I. There's there's another one I could think of eventually. That, but yeah, yeah. That's the uh, that that to me is the one. Mm-hmm. You know that has but like kind just, of like. Oh, go on. That one. That one at least makes a little more sense to me in terms of though that they're still continuing, right? Like the subline yeah. window was was just a window of a certain time, so I get the people who are into it are really into it. And, you oh, know, Chris, it, it, they are continuing Sublime with Rome. Are they really? Yeah, so they got this kid Rome singing for Rome, who sounds okay, just well, like that old singer. Um, weird. Okay, I didn't know that. I thought they were mm-hmm. done when he passed or whatever. I didn't realize. No, then they became like uh, something dub all stars. How do I yeah, know I all this? Like, this is like, why, why do I fill my brain <laughs> with this? That's my point, stuff? though. Yeah. But uh, we're digressing so we can end the sublime bit. But, <laughs> but yeah. yeah, we are very digressing. <laughs> let's get uh, to the win here. <laughs> uh, no, let's, uh, we, uh, there was something else I wanted or to Or whatever on JD, either or, whatever, whatever you want to do. I'm trying to look at my notes again. Um, that's the problem when you have two episodes, all the, uh, all the sense of order goes out the window with the podcast. You know, on I mean, on footnotes. 
Like we got to deal with True. the messes. We got to deal with the messes here on footnotes sometimes. And sometimes the notes are messy. Uh, uh, I just also want to say the point that was made in the episode of hating the mainstreamification of music, which I think is kind of a rite of passage as to, to anybody that kind of gets into this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I identified with that. I no longer at all identify with that, but I understood that, you know, like taking that journey as she as she talked about it. But uh, I do find that's a very similar, like a very funny one. That's one I always wrestled with in the terms of, you know, because obviously like the Sex Pistols and the Clash and all that is in bed with, you know, like whatever major labels out of the gate, yet is the foundationary stuff to like to like the uh, beginning, the beginner getting into this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that's that's a weird, you know, like a uh, conflicting notion of a young person getting into this and wanting to like come correct, so to speak. But I like that she just rejected <laughs> any of it outright, which is, uh, which of course, hey, if that's an absolute way to do it. But um, yeah, I remember feeling very similarly <laughs> at that age. But I still didn't reject stuff like the Sex Pistols, though, or the Clash, or you know, whatever things like that. I also love that she just didn't fuck with uh, Bikini Kill. Yeah, that that was probably the most astounding part of that interview. I did not expect that. No, because it's also Uh, like, I feel so like the opposite. I'm like, what? Like that band rules. (laughs) Like, what do you mean? It like bikini kill. Yeah. (laughs) Like, what about it? Didn't you like, like the, the, you know, I thought it was super awesome, but, um, yeah, yeah. Badass. Well, that's like, you know, if, if we want to take sub genres or whatever, like, like subgenres of subgenres, like Bikini Kill to that is like I don't know what it's like the bad brains of that. Like you don't like that. Like it just yeah. doesn't seem to make sense. Yeah. But uh, you know, or whatever. Any any of the to- like the foundationary stuff, which is like as ubiquitous as like you know breathing air or should be. Mm-hmm. Um. So it's just yeah. But I also think it's great. And I, I thought that made it funnier when she talked about joining La Tigre and it not being like as much of a thing because she didn't have any hangups about being a super fan prior. Yeah. Yeah. Which also, is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like, I also, I couldn't imagine what it would be like, you know, like to be a super fan dealing with that at the same time as you're dealing with stage fright and coming to terms with stage fright in front of a crowd, you know, like also having like the head trip that you're like a massive, you know, you're on stage with one of your heroes, like just to be contending with that would be hard. Yeah. I don't think like, I don't think it would, uh, I don't think that would work. I just think you would be too, I mean, maybe like circumstances can prove me wrong. Cause I'm sure there are groups like that out there with, with these same scenarios. But, um, yeah, I just think like you'd be way too, especially if you're that like whatever amateur or performer, so to speak, you'd be way too insecure about the person you were yeah. obsessed like over. I, I just don't think it could ever work, but who knows? We've got to ask Mike how he does it. <laughs> With who? With me. Who was Mike super fanning you? Yeah, me. Okay. Yeah. Like, okay. He looks over at me and he's like, I just him. wanted to be, I just wanted I'm to in, make sure we got that one. Correct. I'm in a band with my hero. How am I doing this? <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I cannot wait for the mic interview, Dan. I really can't. It's gonna be the best. I think that's that's why I wanted to find out. I think that's gonna be episode two hundred. 
It's yeah. Maybe we've already passed. Maybe before. We've already passed 138, so it's got to be 200 now. Yeah, what was 138? I I haven't been keeping tabs on my punk numbers. I don't know. <laughs> uh. Anyway, <laughs> um, uh, let's move uh, on to yeah. Uh, I guess we should should uh, we can talk about the secret guest now. Obviously, fairly open. It was uh, Davey Havoc, who's going to be headlining. 77 Montreal next week. I will also be doing this live podcast there on the 26th of July at Le Ministre. Confirmed up the guests. I'm going to announce them this week on Turn Out of Punk. Uh, some big names. Some big names, Chris. Nice. Some, some real, real like people that you'd be impressed with. Not people that have been on the show before, Chris, because I know you're like, <laughs> you know, you're like, I'm over it, you know, but. I'm saying some stuff. I think I, I think I'm, I think I might get you to even be excited about a couple of these people. <laughs> I I am a fan of your show. Apart from doing this with you, so I don't know why you would say I wouldn't be. I know, but I know, Chris. Like this is what you say on air, but I know as soon as we get off air, you're like you give me these notes. Like <laughs> I have like you know two hours of notes to do after we get off the air. You're going to be critiquing everything, so. <clears throat> Don't worry. I'm going to get you with this one, Chris. Okay, sounds good. Uh, so, but anyway, let's get on to the uh, Davey Havoc episode. The thing I wanted to talk yeah. about is I, I got a flyer. Like, I do think they played with Swing and Utter. Someone sent me in a flyer of AFI playing with DBS in Vancouver. But I don't think they ever toured to Toronto until they toured over here with Rancid. So you don't believe the Swing Utters thing actually happened in Toronto is what you're saying? I don't think so. I think the Swing Utters' first show was the 95 Warp Tour at Exhibition Stadium in Toronto. Well, I do think if anyone would know, it would likely be you. Um, I do not know. But I I will say I do not recall ever hearing of an AFI Swing Utters tour in Toronto either. So Especially, I don't know. I'm not 100%, but I, I you know that would strike me is something in my mind, I believe. Well, the only thing is DBS did play classic studios. I believe Gob was the opening act uh, for the first time when they came here. I'm not 100% mm-hmm. sure. Uh, I didn't get to see him at that show. We showed up late. Um, so I don't know. Maybe AFI did play that show in the Swing Hunters, but I, I, I don't know. If, I don't think so. Yeah. So I don't know. I was gonna. That's why I wanted to check, talk to you, Chris, about this to see if you had any recollection. No, I don't. Like I again, I never saw those groups in that in those years either. So, but I I just don't don't ever remember hearing tell of that. Like, but yeah, yeah. So well, I that's what I think. Someone we know would have done, gone to those shows and brought it up to us. Well, and I think like I I genuinely like you know you are up on that like i think you would have that recollection i really do i i'm shocked if you didn't so i'm going to go by that alone but um well if any listeners of course if are you're the, this deep and this is a, a major <laughs> you're regional and you this is a major thing that you know yeah we need we need to know this we need to know yeah but um, i'm pretty i'm pretty confident that you're correct uh, i got a flyer sent to me also by flex your history uh, you, which you can follow at Flexure History on Instagram. Some real cool flyers from the Vancouver era, area, including a 1996 show AFI with DBS, which nice. would have been God. Could you imagine how sick that show would have been, Chris? 
Uh, what is ninety five? Ninety six. Ninety six. I'm trying to think of what DBS record that would have been. Probably uh, if the, if music's, the music's loud, loud enough. enough. I think it would have been just after. Probably been an anti flag split era, which is that transition yeah, period. Great, great era. I, arguably, maybe their best era. I would say. I kind of think um, so too, because it kind of captures the best yeah. of both worlds at that point. Yeah, agreed. Um, yeah, that'd be great. I mean, I'm trying. If I would have been on what first record, probably first LP, uh, or just the second LP. Mm, maybe, yeah. maybe the first LP. You're right. Probably first LP. It's funny that both of those groups, um, like just now thinking on this. So, I think as far as the band progression is concerned, I think DBS's progression was quicker, and in terms of like finding where I think they would eventually arrive. Um, and so it's funny looking at that, going, yeah, DBS were a little ahead of the curve. And AFI weren't there yet, but then you go whatever, like two or three years down the road, and then AFI has you know found their niche, which then of course they become huge on. Um, and yet DBS is sort of like I think probably done by around that time or, or near. So it's it's a funny uh, it's funny hearing of these kind of groups playing together, and then well for you and I, DBS is an important band. I don't know if they transcended a lot of other people's radar, but. Um, but like the fact that these bands like were all in the mix at one point, and they all had these really vital periods, in my view, um, yeah, it's just a bizarre state when you think of like, because how many bands play that don't, you know, they just kind of do their thing and it doesn't hit, and then they just go away, you know, like oh, yeah. AFI could have easily just done what they did on the first whatever two three records, and that not to say that those records are bad, but just like those records to me being what happens a bit later they clearly are not, you know, the fully formed article yet. No, but they, they were both kind of like, it was funny because, um, I remember going to see AFI with a friend of mine when I went out to the Bay area years ago Mm -hmm. and we drove down to Santa Cruz to see AFI play and DBS just happened to be going through you know, and just like, you know, got on the show somehow, hopped on. And I remember mm-hmm. talking to Jesse before the show and I was like, you know, obviously a big fan. And by that point they had the, the new bass player and his, one of his parents worked at the same airline as my mom worked at, you know, air, you know, this airline. Um, so we, we had like this connection that so we were talking about that. And he was like, mm-hmm. Jesse was telling me like, yeah, it was really weird. I remember, Davey warming up before the show and he starts singing this Danzig song. And I, I thought like, Oh, he's just joking around singing this Danzig song. So I started joking around singing with him. Uh, but I didn't realize <laughs> he was doing vocal warm ups. And then I'm like, Oh, you haven't seen AFI like since like you hadn't seen him, and they had oh, made that okay. jump, you know? And it like, yeah. and by that point it was black sales and they came out, Still one of the best shows I've ever seen. And it was like amazing to look at their faces just being like, holy fuck, this band is incredible. Like, yeah, you're right. They yeah, had, and if I had that moment where they became like, they went from being a hardcore band to being like, and this is going to sound like a disc because I know we use it as a disc here, but they became like a rock band. And like, but like in the way that they had like, they were a rock band on par with like, Danzig to me and like on par with like, you know, like, like big rock bands. Like they were just, they had this power on stage and it was just like, 
oh, this is this other band. Yeah, I, I just think like when you look at their their trajectory, I think that's that's where the band as people know them, that's the 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 turn there. Mm-hmm. And so it's funny that that happens like you like you're saying like a few years later. And I feel that you know I don't you know we've discussed this at length on the show. I don't think DBS have ever got their dues, and uh, I think they're obviously majorly deserving. And I personally am a bigger DBS fan than AFI fan. Um, but, uh, you know, DBS, I would say, was be already kind of that fully realized thing even then. Even though they didn't have quite what the latter records exactly sounded like, I think they were already that kind of clever, not just like snotty little kids thing anymore. Um, so, yeah. Although I don't think they were ever entirely that either. I think they're, even the first record has some real like weirdly mature moments for like whatever they were, 16 or 17 at the time. Oh, yeah. Like they... They, I think, right away, they were, like, kind of, like, a different band. Like, they stood out. Like, there's so many bands at that time that were coming out that just, you know, went away as soon as you heard them. But they had, like, a charisma. And Davey has a charisma that's just, like, to this day, undeniable. Like, he he looks amazing, you know? And uh, it's (laughs) it's really, it's, it's intimidating as another front person. Uh, I've only I've only met him once a long time ago, so I don't I don't know him, but yeah, he seems like a swell guy. Uh, he's awesome. You guys would have a lot in common, you know, both bitter, straight edge vegan dudes. <laughs> yeah, that sounds. Uh, I, I think as much as that is true, I think uh, he doesn't like sport at all, so that could be a problem. But <laughs> no, but he does love music. True. Yeah, and enough. he does love the same sorts of music you like too. Yes, like, I, I've gathered as much, even when he talks about in the interview, yeah. Yeah, so he, you and him, what I think would be able to, like, talk about music. Like, he likes, you know, like, old hardcore, and then he likes, like, heavy goth stuff, and, like, you know, he and mm-hmm. I can can talk about, you know, cool, like, awesome music. I can't relate to him about the vegan straight-edge stuff. Definitely relate about being bitter, <laughs> you know. But, yes. You know, not so much the vegan straight-edge stuff, unfortunately. Um, he had a one really, <clears throat> in case that the point goes missing here, I don't, I want to make sure to acknowledge it. <clears throat> Excuse me. He had that one point in the interview where he talks about, uh, the band getting to a certain level to the point where friends are no longer required to come see, yeah. uh, the band anymore. I think that's the greatest rule ever. I think that is like, I, I legitimately laughed when that came up, but I also thought it was the greatest, uh, yeah, that's exactly how it should be. <laughs> that was perfection uh, for people that in bands or people that know people in bands or whatever. That is literally what that's the conversation everybody should have as much as I like a lot of my friends bands. Well, it's, it's funny. Very it's funny. Cause like I've, I've called them before and been like, yo, like uh, you guys are coming to town. He's like, yeah, do you want to come out? You don't have to like, just being there. I'm <laughs> like, no, like I still love seeing your band. Like that's, I think more embarrassing <laughs> is that I am still a fan, you know, like at the end of the day. Yeah. So let's I, I will come out and see you guys every time. Uh, nice. Yeah, it was, it's, it's, I'm looking forward to that live thing. It's going to be a, an interesting, fun experience. And then the next day it's like, kind of like my, like, you know, a, a lineup that uh, every band I'm kind of stoked to see, you know? I'm really stoked. I haven't seen Sick of It All in a while. Suicidal Tendencies, you know, 
AFI, Rise Against. Uh, it's going to be a good time. Cool. Cool, man. Well, Chris, I'm just delaying what will probably be something that will both, uh, you know, regret having talked so much before it because it will go very long. But uh, let's dive in now, Chris. Let's dive into the Dwid Van yeah, Halen yeah. episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dwid is someone that I've been, uh, you know, obviously by anyone who's talked to me about music for any extended period of time a fan of as far as a vocalist goes and a lyricist and uh you know this has been a long time coming chris knows how this has been something that's been in the cards for a while and finally it's happened i feel like this is one though that could require like 23 parts in the end (laughs) what a fascinating (laughs) person dwit is and uh truly like one of the one of the cool episodes, coolest episodes I've ever gotten to do. And I got to nerd out with a lot of stuff. You did. And I, I just thought of this as you were saying it, cause you were taught, like, obviously everyone's aware of you're a gigantic fan. Um, but I just was aware now that this year, I believe they both fell this year. I'm quite positive. They did. Um, both Harry a and Wade, you interviewed. Yeah. I believe, if I were to summarize you to someone else, I would say those are one, two, in whatever order you want. Absolutely. So you've knocked uh, knocked the two off like this year, which is kind of impressive, actually. Um, but anyway, yeah. So well, Tristan, I got to say, Tristan, up. thank you to Tristan, my brother, uh, yeah. show producer, uh, guest booker, and someone who's really kind of driven a lot of these things, like being like, yo, this guy's yeah. got to come on. So you got to get this person yeah. on. Yeah, I agree. Um, but yeah, this is, uh, definitely for me sonically, like a massive influence. I still think like, you know, if your top vocalist list doesn't include Dwid, you know, I, I don't know what you're thinking about, you know, and Jerry a too, I would have Dwid Jerry a, I would have, um, HR and I'd have, uh, I'm trying to think of like vocalists that drive the, that drove the genre forward like afterwards mm-hmm. you know like they were someone that took it to a place you know Sakevi, maybe yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah like who would you have like who else would you have on that list who would you Ooh, that's a hard i never thought about it in those terms um all the ones you named are very good uh i made a list one time in a zine some very regretful controversial opinions on that list <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Um, but yeah, the the ones on that list were decent in terms of like Iggy Pop, of course, or like, uh, I'm trying to think of, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's t- I mean, you, you'd have to acknowledge Danzig. Um, you'd have to, see, for me, I would even, all the kind of the classic groups, I think, have pretty identifiable vocalists that I do think did that. Um like even minor threat, I don't think Ian Mackay is known as like strictly a vocalist guy. You know, like you wouldn't think that that was so defining, but I do believe it was. So yeah, uh, I don't know. It's a tough question to ask at this point in the episode, but yeah, I'm with you on on the people that you've that you've labeled that you've uh, whatever you've identified in that list. Uh, not in the not in the zine per se, but in the ones you just said. Yes, <laughs> um, but uh, what we're gonna Dwid, you were going on Dwid. Why did you bring up Dwid in this? Oh, just in that, yeah. 
Yeah, he... I think... I'm trying to really think here. As far as, like, I don't know, late 80s to 90s, I don't know of a more... Uh, what's the word? Like, like, unique, certainly. But just more of, like... I can't think of a better hardcore vocalist than I think I like from that era. I really can't. Like, now that I really think about it. Like, can you? I, I can't think of... I mean, you maybe not, but, like... I don't know. I'm trying to think of, like... Yeah, like... <sighs> or even one that competes. Like, one that really, really competes. I, I, I And then thinking in those terms, I think that's really more impressive. I think it's the era... You could isolate certain groups getting big, and, and certainly they, you know, they were good bands. But just like as far as identifiable, like clearly identifiable at all times, and sort of for me, like never miss a punch in terms of like, you know, kind of what all the stuff they put out being equally good. Um, yeah, he's he's tough to top for that era, I would say. Yeah, definitely for that era. Like I'm trying you you you're right. Like who's got that track record and has that you know, that that sound, you know, like that's the thing about in, integrity and like also, you know, not to minimize the involvement of the Melnicks in that too. No, and of like, course, yeah, yeah. And other yeah. And, and or or Aaron specifically and the guitar sound and then also um, you know, like the various other people that have played in that band, Three Gun uh as well, because you know, that season, the size of days to me is still, that's, yeah, that's my favorite. That's I one. think yeah. you, you say that too. Well, I think, obviously I think the answer for most people would probably be humanity. I would think. Yeah. Most uh, people, I, I think well, we're in the, I, I'm with you. I really like seasons. I think seasons is a great record. Um, yeah. Anyway, sorry. Go on. Oh, no, I think the lyrics on that are incredible. I bought, there's a Psy warfare seven inch that they sold on their European tour that I bought that came with a lyric sheet for that record. And yeah. it's incredible how good those lyrics are and like how interesting those lyrics are to kind of like read through as separate from the music. Yeah. Yeah. I've never, I've never done that. I need to do that. They must be available now. Oh yeah. Now it's like, you know, this is at the point where I remember there was an, a, an ad in the back of, or was it like a classified ad in victory magazine issue number one? No two. Okay. And it was like yeah. for the lyric sheet for season of the size of days, please send uh Hawaiian music memorabilia too. And then that, like, I remember this, you remember that? Yeah. And it's not yeah, No, it was actually, I think he was asking for uh Don Hosta. It might've been, it might've been Martin Denny actually, but uh, yeah, he definitely solicited that stuff for that stuff yeah yeah and it was so like even at the time i were reading it and thinking this is bizarre but this is cool and it what and it seemed like it was a joke but it's not a joke actually at all no nope. like you it was sincere yeah <laughs> you could get those and also you could get that lyric sheet from that side warfare seven inch um, yeah yeah but like also right up till integrity 2000 um which you know has it's it's got like you know it's it's I don't think can continue this legacy, but like what a run! This has its moments. I'm okay it has with its it, moments, yeah. absolutely. But like mm -hmm. you know, there and there are people that say it's the best integrity record now, which is I know weird, but we in are, are in weird times. <laughs> yeah, that that I'm not buying, but okay. But what a run from those who fear tomorrow to a season the size of days. 
Yeah, that's my favorite run of the band. Um, I think that's probably most people our age, that's their favorite run. Um, but I think To Die For is a really, really great record, too. Sort of the whatever. The... Oh, yeah. No, definitely. Like, as a, as like a return to kind of sound. And, like, the latest exactly. record is also pretty fucking awesome and how it kind of, like, brings that sound back, you know? And it's very clear yeah. that the people that are, are in the band now are very aware of the legacy and trying to make sure that what they do kind of fits in it in some way. Yeah, the um, I still have yet to hear it, but I've definitely heard actually nothing but good things as well. So I'm I'm always curious. I mean, I, I saw Integrity finally for the first time probably, and I, I assume when it's that last record came out, Suicide Black Snake or whatever. So it was probably 2013, which is crazy, five years ago, I guess. Um, yeah, sounds about right. Um, and they were great, uh, but of course I never saw like sort of like what is typically known as the classic lineup, unfortunately, but. Um, anyway, yeah, a great, great band. I love, you know, you cannot, I mean, actually now that I look at it, I think I like systems more than humanity even. Yeah. Like I, it's, it's hard to like, I went back and listened to for those, uh, those who fear tomorrow and it's like, damn, this is like, it's, it's amazing how early they kind of had that sound that like, obviously would get refined over the years, but like, yeah, yeah. They had it kind of figured out right away. Like, okay, this is what we got to sound like. Yeah, I agree. I think what's important to note, I think there are a lot of groups people like of this these era, like this era. But I think um, for me, what I appreciate most about Integrity is that, yeah, like you're saying, there was something, there was a dimension to this group that was, uh, like, like was it, there was another dimension to the group as opposed mm-hmm. to a lot of others, I would argue. Mm-hmm. And that's why I always found them interesting. And the the music was raging at the same time, like it wasn't, uh, it wasn't more. Uh, what's the word? It, w- it wasn't like so caught up in the, I don't know, the bravado of of sort of like the themes that the music was second. It was no, the music was still always like raging, and uh, yeah. So that's that's what I always liked. Yeah, I. I... I'm trying to think of a band that had a better four album run, um, you know, from that time period. Of this era, I don't think there is one uh, of of bands that match up. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I would struggle to to think of one. I really think those those four are really good, and I still think like there are moments on those who fear, which definitely sounds like the like you know a band's early. You know they're not quite, they yeah. didn't quite find it yet, but the other three are just like, yeah. There's no, uh, it's there. <laughs> like humanity, like that. The, the intro to that humanity right is just so deadly. Like to this day, it's still. I remember it was actually it seemed to be in vogue like I don't know a decade or so ago for everyone to cover cover vocal tests, but I don't know if that's gone away. But um, yeah, they just everything. Yeah, it's it's sick. This record's so great. Yeah. Like, I am a nerd about this band, as people who have seen me post on Instagram <laughs> this kind of past week, my kind of collection of this stuff. And yeah. Oh, yeah. There's definitely stuff I'm missing, you know, and I'd love to find 
of course. <laughs> Not much. <laughs> but still, there's stuff out there. Um, and But it is incredible to kind of like go through there and like, yeah, as you say, like a band that had such a defined aesthetic that had, you know, such a different sonic kind of direction than anybody. You know, now there's like a lot of bands, including a band myself have been in that, you know, ape that sound very much and, and try and get as close <laughs> yeah. to it as possible. But yeah. it's still like, they've got something that's just like uncatchable. Catchable, catchable, I guess. Sorry. I know what you're saying. Yeah, I get what you're saying. It's late. A couple dabs in. You know, this is no, no a long, a long conversation, uh, you know, to get to an even longer conversation. Yeah. Sidebar on everything re- relating to humanity. I don't know why I've never thought about that cover being a Pusset cover, but it clearly is looking at it. But I always just assumed it was uh, someone sort of aping the style, but it actually is him. I, I don't know why I never knew that. Yeah, because it's it's one of the ones that stands out the most from Pusshead because it's so unlike any other Pusshead illustration. I've always been fascinated by that artwork. Like I've always just wondered, you know, like what was that conversation like to kind of get that artwork out of Pusshead? Because you know, like Pusshead, you know, is very successful with his style, but he definitely has a style, and this one it looks so much more fantasy. It's like if Pusset did a magic card before magic cards. <laughs> yeah. I think it's cool. I wish I um I'm I'm sure back in the day maybe you can even still get them, but Victory must have made posters of that because they used to make posters of everything yes. too. Yes, they would they probably have a watch um, of that too, Chris. Yeah, true. But the poster would be sick to actually have in frame. I never thought about that. Um the one thing I'm curious about, did you I'm assuming you have it because you have different variations of all these things. I remember an early uh, a friend had because I didn't have this on CD at the time, but a friend had it on CD, and that they had uh, it was like the the pamphlet thing, the uh, for the process know, church. It's holy tar- yeah, it's like the process. I guess it's. I was going to say it was holy tarot, but you're right. It was process. Now that I remember, but either way, it came in the CD. But I don't remember. I don't think I have it in my record. It came with the but first I press, I think, or the maybe like the mm-hmm. there's a little booklet in some or most of them, I guess. I uh, I did actually trade. I had a, like a bunch of different pink ones at one point, um, and now I'm down yeah. kind of one, uh, which is is fine. I'm very happy with that one. Um, I have it's like <laughs> one of the ones limited to like five or whatever. That yeah, you know yeah. what? I, who I have to give all credit for finding this to. You and Who's Derek. That? Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's a good story too. As far as like, if people really want to see how hard Damien goes, um, just a brief anecdote. A friend and I had, uh, you know, this is how long ago was this? Now at least ten years. About ten years ago, yeah. Probably, probably more, and probably even longer. Um, anyway, we had found someone selling some records, and uh, you know, had a list or whatever. So this friend and I had. Uh, had got some. And then I, this particular friend had got an integrity record, some kind of weird, rare one. I still don't remember what it was. I guess you're about to tell me, but, um, and, uh, I remember mentioning that to you, just mentioning to you, like, as we normally do, like, yeah, we're, you know, this is what I got lately, whatever. And, um, 
you immediately like freaked out <laughs> and said, you, uh, you know, basically what's his contact, send him my like whatever trade list and say like, tell him whatever, like whatever he wants to trade, like we'll work something out. So yeah, and he did. So, and I believe one of the things in the trade was the, an Infest seven inch, if I remember correctly. I think so, but no, this is, I think this is two different it. stories. Because I think the what happened this time was Derek had found he'd been searching in the musical equipment section on um like on like it wasn't Kijiji I don't even know what it was like Craigslist I think it was yeah like we Craigslist. no no we found it off either Craigslist or Kijiji for the records anyway I don't know what this other thing yeah well I think this was the records and it was like in the music instrument section and he sent me okay. this list and he's like hey this guy's got like a bunch of Integ stuff and it was the guitar player in grade, but the guy that was in trunk. Yeah. 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 That was one of the, that was one of the people we scored stuff off. Yeah. And it was like, and then you drove me out to meet him in the middle of like Burlington that one that's, time. That's right. Sorry. So there was exactly, so there was two, but Derek scored one thing and then you scored the rest of it. That's right. Yeah. And so, it was, yeah, you're right. I was, I wasn't correct. That's right. There was two instances. So there you go. So for, People don't know that that illustrates it perfectly. That is that, nerd I, thought shit. Was, I thought it was one trade, and it was actually two. And I do remember bringing it to that friggin' ghost station. Yeah, and just in the middle of nowhere, just thinking like, "What? This is like the the lengths you will do again." If we talk about like <laughs> punk with the record collector things, the, the the places I have traded or swapped records with people is just astounding. Oh yeah, like it's any like I'm shocked. It, there there is yet to be like you know, a strip club or a casino yet, but I give it, give it time. It'll happen. I'm sure eventually. Yeah. So you scored. So what was it that the, the one that you really secured there? That was like the big deal. one. They, they, he had one of these ones that was like one of the first five copies or whatever of the pink one with the blue sleeve, uh, were, were pink, you know, the blue sleeve ones were pink for the first five of them. And okay. then, then they did a, I think a hundred that were red and they did, I think a thousand that were black, you know, mm -hmm. for, the, for that blue and white sleeve version of it. And this yeah. was one of the pink ones, one of the first five numbered on the back. And, uh, nice. yeah, got that. And I got, you know, some other cool, I think I got closure on green and, uh, yeah, that's an interesting one. That, that's one I never, um, yeah, I don't have that on vinyl. I, I kind of wish I did cause it's a, it's a peculiar one in the middle there. If you look at the run, if you go from 2000, into Regenesis to that. It's a strange little period for integrity a little bit. But, yeah. Um, that record only came out on vinyl in Australia. Really? I didn't yeah. know that either. It only, it never yeah, came out. I have that on CD. I still have that on CD, but I don't have, yeah, I don't have it on record. It's there. It's apparently very limited. Like there's only 50 copies on green and then, um, I, I can't remember how many uh, there are on all the other colors of vinyl. Let me look it up on the, the resource right now. But it's like nice. they did like a limited run of this album and then it went out of print. And that was kind of like the only vinyl run of it. I think ever. I don't think they've ever done a repress of it. And the story is like I've heard like mixed things about how it came together and the like maybe it was just a uh, like a, a like this like one off kind of project for dwid maybe it was supposed to have a different name yeah i remember i remember seeing like reading an interview with him and i don't know what the hell 
like I feel it might have even been a metal magazine. Like it might have even been like Brave Words, Bloody Knuckles, or something. Yeah. But he was interviewed in it, and it was under the guise of like whatever the project was called, and it was called had like a really bizarre, not bizarre name, but it just it had something like the the titles, some of the song titles on here. Um, but yeah, I cannot. I kind of wish you asked him in the interview. But I guess if you do a part two, we'll have to. Oh, we're going to definitely get that. That's probably going to be important. Part four, normally, uh, knowing the way we work <laughs> on this thing. Way, yeah, yeah. I think it's also but interesting. Yeah. You know, like, there's like such a a period of no music coming out of like the integrity camp, basically from the year 1991 or so 1992 to the year 1995. There's like three years where like nothing comes out. Not even singles. I'm trying to see here. The LPs, no. But what is what about singles? Ninety-two. The split with Mayday comes out. Oh, you're right. Yeah. And then ninety-five, they kind of get back into it. Yeah, which is a very and see, and that's the funny part about that interview is that it speaks to kind of what he says, like basically, like, like that they didn't play. You know what I mean? Like there was that period where they didn't play. And then I, I believe if I remember when he was talking in the interview, it's around humanity is where they start to play again or whatever, something like that. I don't think they played much on those who fear or did they? I don't think so. Like, as far as, as I know, like once again, like they were not a band that I was fortunate enough to see early on. Um, yeah, same. So I didn't get to, I, I saw him. Around the first reunion time was when I started seeing them. Um, but yeah, like I didn't get to see them early on. They never came to Canada. Yeah, I tried. I have a funny anecdote about that too. I remember I, they had played um, or were supposed to play somewhere, but they were supposed to play in Buffalo at some point in 2003. It was on this tour, and I don't know what happened. They did two shows or something, and one they played, and then the next one they didn't. Um, of course, that was the one I was going to, and so I missed them. Didn't didn't wasn't able to see them, and then uh, even on the road, I remember being on tour in like in two thousand three or four, and being on the west coast when they were we were sort of near, like their dates were nearby, and I thought I think they were supposed to actually land in the same city at some point, but on that tour they had to cancel that tour because they like had an altercation and they they all went home or whatever. But um which sucks. I didn't see them again then and then I didn't see them till a decade later. <laughs> For the first time in Toronto. Yeah. No, they were a band that, you know, like in certain parts of the country you never got to see or certain parts of the continent, I should say. Uh yeah. you never got to see and I guess you know certain parts of the world certainly as well. They are without a doubt one of those bands that you know had this kind of deep impact um, in spite of the fact that they never played out. Like that's how good that kind of music was. It didn't require them to kind of play out. Like it just had its impact through those records. Well, yeah, I mean the records were, <laughs> especially like you figure that band from 91 to 97, 98, you figure they're still probably playing off that stuff. That's like a, you know, seven year run, eight year run. That's pretty good for a, any hardcore punk band, let alone, you know, like this particular one. First so. time I saw them was 99 and they were fucking awesome. And then all the electronics yeah. went out. So they had to just play like a bunch of old songs and it was killer. 
Yeah, see, like I, I, I really liked even in like 2000 when they came out. I, I liked that record. It just comparatively, it's not as good, of course. But, um, but yeah, like I would have loved to have seen them in that era, even then. And I just never did. Like, where did you see them in '99? In England. Oh wow! When I went to school for one year in England, uh, they played the Underworld, and it was incredible. Like they were so good. Uh, and that, like you know, that's what I kind of think. That's when you know my my like okay, if I want to sing in a band, I want it to be something like this. I want to try and do weird stuff with my voice. Was seeing Dwid that night and watching him as like a, like one of the most captivating front people I've ever seen in a hardcore band. Yeah, well, again, I saw him much later on, but yeah, he was good. Um, seen footage, of course, like footage from classic era stuff, but never, yeah, never saw it. Unfortunately, yeah. yeah. Uh, there are some notes that we should get into at least a couple of yeah, Chris, if you're okay with yeah. that. Uh, yeah, yeah. One of the notes that I wanted to kind of get into is this beloved confront seven inch of mine that <laughs> yeah. I think that is one of the coolest straight edge records to ever come out. Uh, of course, it is one of the first records that Dwid put out himself. And yeah, like, <laughs> finally got to nerd out about that thing. Well, I don't have an original like you do, or the multiple originals. Well, like that's why that. people don't, though. Now now we kind of yeah. know. And I talked to someone who was like, well, that story, like, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's probably, and I'm like, no, that story makes sense. Because that thing, I think that thing shows up less often than a Minor Threat 7-inch. Like, the first Minor Threat 7-inch. I I mean, yeah, but I mean, at the same time, like, I don't know. I'm just trying to see here what the actual, these are worth. I'm kind of with you. Oh, huh? well, yeah, it's enough money. It's worth enough money, the original. Because um, I was going to say, well, originally, well, uh, you know, an original Meyer Thread will get you a lot more money. But, you know, not, like, this will get you a lot of money. So, yeah, that, that my theory is a shot out of water. Um I cannot believe this record goes to this much now. It bums me out so hard because I'm probably never going to have this now. Well, but that's the thing um, also. Like, I I wonder when the last time it sold. Oh, no, it sold in 2018 on black. So maybe it is less rare <laughs> than I thought. But there are some weird fun. variations. You know, there's this photo from the live wire board of someone with it that looks incredible. Let me see if I can find that photo. This this uh, confront this is compelling. Turned out this is like turning to punk footnotes radio when you hear two people looking at the internet about <laughs> records. Like that's if you're playing yeah, any sort of get intoxicated game, this is the time to take your drink or inhale. <laughs> What's really funny is I believe that um, the copy of the um, the confront reissue on, on Dutch East that I have on white. I believe, ironically, I got from um, uh, like a, a bought off Dom, I think. Uh, oh, really? The internet, like, you know, way back. Like, I don't, I don't even think he was. Oh, he might have been Toronto. I can't remember. But uh, yeah, so it's it's just funny how full circle that actually came. I Those like, who don't know Dom, who is is now in integrity, ran whatever a three eight nine is it called that yeah, label? Yeah. Yeah. So was, well, as course, as we know him, Don Don from from um, from Dirge. Yes, I I don't know him. I I'm not a Torontonian, but yes, Damien and and Cohen know him. Yeah. 
Uh, I'm trying to find that photo, but there's like, there's definitely a gray version of the seven inch. There's mm-hmm. uh, that I I've got, and it's got like some weird note from Dewitt, and it's got like a different photo copy, copied color sleeve uh, huh. that I bought years ago, and it's like a note says it's limited to twenty five, and it's on gray vinyl uh, or shit colored vinyl, as they say. And then there's also a pink one that I've seen, and there's definitely the blue ones out there because you know. I think I have a blue one, and I know there's a at least a few other blue ones that I've seen. I love how that like the, the classification of shit colored is so obviously not shit colored. No, <laughs> it's, it's it's like gray. It's like clearly not at all, even close. Yeah. Um, but it's it's a gnarly seven inch. Like that thing is like a nightmare to try and find. Like it took forever to try and track that down and it's got to be i love that record so much well again like i i just have a reissue but yeah i wish i had an original of it like that's yeah it's one of those ones i always forget though like i'm i forget to go look for that because i i don't know i already kind of have it but not really um but yeah the, the original looks so cool i just realized too um no tolerance. Yeah, uh, Jacks the font on this. I I I never subliminally understood that. Like I I always knew it was from something, but I never really thought about what it was. And isn't only the strong the same font too? I think uh, it's that same. I think it's probably like the same exact typeface too. Yeah. Yeah. So either way, I like that homage to shout out to uh to no tolerance and. Uh, Friend of the show. See, only 31 people have this on black vinyl and 39 people have it on blue on here. It's like, I, you got to think that there's not a lot of these things out there. Well, what did he ask? He estimated that what, how, like they all, well, his numbers added up to like a hundred. There's like a hundred copies out there. And I figure there's more than a hundred copies out there. Um, you know, I wonder, like, when you look on Discogs, how many of the, you know, I'm trying to think what are, like, some of the top hardcore records that go for a ton of money these days. First Minor Threat single, obviously. Yeah. I, always, I wonder how many people have it, or at least, you know, on Discogs claim to have, you know, the first press of it. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. 186. Hmm. Dude, and it's going for like someone's trying to sell one for like over two grand. Jeez, I guess it's cheap crazy. One. That's the entry Either level way. price one. Yeah, this is a great record though. This confront original, cool record anyway. But the yeah, uh, it was much easier to find for anybody who doesn't have the actual one or whatever. So it's doesn't look nearly as cool, but it's. Uh, you know, it'll do. Even then, like you got to figure that record is going to be at a point where people are going to start paying someone. Yeah, it's already like now like thirteen bucks for the white one. That was like a yeah, dollar. Still, yeah, I'm shocked. It's kind of even, but yeah. Anyway, sorry. So the confront, yeah, that story's wild. Um, I don't. Uh, I don't doubt. I, I think your theory is correct. I think it is a lot more rare than people think. But uh, 
I don't know why. Like, and you're right. I, I've never. I don't think I've ever seen one in a store anywhere, or even just even people like on, uh, like like distros or that kind of thing. Like I, I've never, I've never come across one where I could have bought one. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I've like all, in the wild. I bought mine all online, or from people that had them or traded them. I think even for maybe yeah. one of my colored ones. Um, and I'm but, talking like. Including like you know prime era hits and misses. Like I, he never had this that I that I remember, and he no. had some cool integrity stuff. Yeah, there's definitely like points where you know you see other things around, but you just never see this record. Like a lot of that Dark Empire stuff is pretty hard to find. Like even you know the Anguish single, it's hard to find. An Apartment Two Thirteen record that that thing's kind of hard to find now. Definitely hard to find now. I was shocked that you didn't bring that up. I well, I didn't get. I, I to, to be honest with you, we spent so much time on that Dark Empire Strikes Back comp. Like as soon yeah. as he put up any resistance to me saying it's an amazing comp, I was like, okay, well now I got to convince you. So <laughs> we spent a lot of time going on that. I, I, that's what part two is for, though. Believe me, I want to find out about that part in two thirteen single. But that comp, it's ridiculous. That lineup. The uh, I don't I don't have this either. Is it? It's only on CD. This comp? only on CD. Hmm. That's what I'm saying. Like you know, someone's got to find a way to like put this. So he out. was saying that this Dutch East also was a distributor, like manufacturer distributor for this stuff. Yeah. For all the Dark Empire stuff. Yeah. Gotcha. What cover artwork? Okay, my word. So, <laughs> the other like thing I didn't ask so... what about is I bought one time on eBay a Dark Empire shirt that was like someone had silkscreen the Dark Empire logo on the back of a Star Wars uh, Darth Vader shirt that says he is risen. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that I was like, is that a real shirt or a bootleg? I was going to ask him, but I saved that for part two. Too. <laughs> you should ask him what the photo on the back is as well. The photo on the back of that CD? Yeah. Is it uh, him as a kid? Like, who's the kid? Oh, yeah. Totally forgot about the back of the CD. Oh, my God. I'm getting, like, this crazy. This layout is the wildest thing ever. Like, dude, the cover, first of all, it's got the cover artwork, which is the very basic whatever. But then it has um, the CD itself is, like, the Mortal Kombat, <laughs> like, logo. Like, it's... It's just yeah, this is incredible. I don't know why I don't have it. It's still a cheap, uh, cheap score if anyone wants it. It's got some like amazing songs on it too. Mm. Yeah, I never. Uh, I do not have this. I don't think I've ever even heard it. And the, you've never heard that ringworm? Uh, I just want some skank. No, like what you guys are talking about. I thought like it sounds incredible, but yeah, it's awesome. It is amazing. This comp is is definitely worth. Brainwashed Youth is on this comp. You know, Mushroom Head is on this comp. Uh, Which is strange and funny, but now those links all make sense with the tie-ins. But yeah, Brainwashed Youth, of course. Classic 7-inch. Yeah. Um, or 7-inches, pardon me. I didn't realize that a second one they released later. 2011, they released another one. Well, <laughs> inmates have like 10 records now. Like, it's nuts. Like, how many... You know, like, I, I totally didn't realize this till the other day. I'm like, what was the last image record? And I'm like, oh, man, I'm, like, well behind. I guess they put only put out one last year. Maybe that's the only one I don't have is the one that came out last year. Well, they put out one a few years back, and then they put out 
one recently in LP. Creatures of the Night just came out this yeah. year. Yeah. And then in 08, they did Now We're Talking Hardcore, and then the, the Painkiller LP is in 2014. Yeah. So you're not, you're not buying. No, I've got the even worse single, and I've got definitely Government Crimes. But, yeah, do not. It's going to be hard hard for me to get Creatures of the Night, I imagine, at this point. So I saw someone post that that was reissued, by the way. The Government Crimes 7-inch has been reissued. Yeah. It was. Um, I think Vinyl Conflict understand. posted it today. Yeah, because it's isn't it on the the whatever assholes unanimous? Doesn't it have it on the extras, or is it is it the different session? Maybe the CD has it. I think yeah, I think the CD has it. I think it's been reissued on that non-commercial compilation of all the seven inches. Yeah, that too. Okay, they did, maybe but that's it. it's called Battle of the Worst Bands. Yeah, that comp. Yeah, that comp's probably been out of print though for a couple years now. So yeah. I think you know it was due for some sort of reissue or pressing or something. Um, but Government Crimes, what a sick looking seven inch! Yep, deadly. All even uh, any cover. I don't have all the covers, but the uh, yeah, it's just it's great. Good uh, good record. Great band, actually. They just played out west for the first time, I think. By the way, yeah, they played that wild uh, looking uh, festival. Yeah. Um this anyway, sound we've, we've, di- we've digressed. <laughs> we have digressed again, Chris. We are we are going yeah. into overtime on this one. So we mm-hmm. won't make this go on too much longer. Um yeah. but there are probably a couple other points that are worth getting into at this point. Um Chris, do you have any points you want to dive into? Um hmm. I'm trying to think of specific ones. Um, he had a lot of good stories, which is what I expected, but I'm trying to think of ones I really wanted to elaborate on for myself or you. I don't, it's more than the nuance of certain things he mentioned, but we, the, the, the dark empire comp, which I didn't know a lot about that, that was good to touch on. Um, I don't know ones to jump into here. Um, what about the nine inch nails connection? Yeah. With the fil- sorry, of course. Yeah. Yeah. With the filter thing. Yeah. That, Okay, first of all, as well, while we're on this, real quick, I believe it's in the um, Back to the Integrity 2000 uh, CD or whatever, whatever it's. I might be on the vinyl version. I, I have a CD version, I think, uh, still. But it there's a, it's either that one or it's the following that Project Regenesis. I think it's the the first 2000. There's a um, like a a studio shot of uh, him. I think it's him and. Uh, the dude that went on to sing in Sepultura, don't know his name, but anyway, uh, and I never understood the connection at the time because geographically I didn't realize that that dude who went on to sing in Sepultura was from Cleveland or whatever. Yeah. So uh, that always blew my like. I remember having that and just being confused, like, like why the fuck <laughs> is this guy like what like why did how do they know each other why is this in the thing and and of course in the interview he kind of elaborates on some of that which is how the filter thing comes up. So it is very bizarre the uh th- those like those weird like people crossing paths in in Cleveland. I think it's such a strange thing. Like it's it's not anything I ever thought about. I'd always heard about the mushroom head thing and uh but that like filtered dude and like, I didn't knew nothing about that like that whole that connection. That blew my mind. Yeah, like I had no idea at all 
about the first lineup of integrity being like that uh, until yeah. this interview. And it was, it was, you know, it's talking about a band that like is interesting at every level, even in their pre band stage. There's like, wow, yeah. all those people in one band. Yeah. in the Marvel comics thing, like <laughs> yeah. just, there's two months. It's like, of course all this exists. Like, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, again, I don't know really what to elaborate on it apart from that it answered some questions like like to whatever, 15, 20 years ago or me being younger going, why the hell is this guy in the picture, this this record? And then little do I know he was in lineups of the like early integrity stuff and whatever. So, um, which, yeah, anyway, I just, it's, yeah, I don't know. I'm at a loss for, uh, I'm losing my... Uh, whatever concentration pardon me were you ever in a filter no not at all Poser. i know the song obviously because the song was <laughs> no no i already liked that kind of music but that was never a group that really spoke to me but well uh, I, I, they never spoke to me really either i'm just pretending no i'm just kidding they were one of my first punk shows was going to see die cheerleader open for them yeah as you said nice we left and before filter. It? We left before filter, but that was like our big stand <laughs> back then. Oh, okay. Uh, I saw actually that's not true. We saw them. I think they played "Hey Man, Nice Shot" pretty early, so we got to oh, see okay. that song. And then we then we went outside and tried to hang out with Die Cheerleader. Punisher right out of the gate, Chris. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm shocked by the way. In relation to all that, there was never some kind of weird Trent Reznor like. Integrity remix or Psy Warfare remix or something. Well, now we know how they connect, though. We know there's an intersection point. Like, we can now add Trent Reznor to our punk rock uh, web through the dude in the band that sold Acid to Dwid. <laughs> True. <laughs> Welcome to the party, yeah. Trent. Yeah, that's great, though. It's a funny... It's just funny to tie those together. I, I Again, I would have never... Doesn't I'm more uh, I'm more um, surprised that he didn't like when he was speaking about it. He didn't seem to really talk about Nine Inch Nails all that much, which I think that would be a group that he would have liked. So it was a little I was curious about that. Yeah, like I wonder. I wonder if he just like sidestepped that because he was into you know all that kind of like heavier stuff that was coming out too. Yeah, true. Could be. Yep. But that's for part two as well. Yeah, like going sure. back to Trent Reznor, uh, <laughs> how much was an influence was Nine Inch Nails on you? Uh, but that's also <laughs> like where I did find out about like a lot of noise stuff was like through Blood Book as well. Like reading his interviews with like Japanese noise bands and like kind of going out and trying to find records by these bands afterwards. Um, you know, it was it was definitely an experience, but it was <laughs> yeah. an experience that I owe entirely to Dwid for. Yep. subjecting me to it you know the yeah, people I think that was sorry go on no i was gonna say people in the extreme music can be really weird sometimes like not like who you have to go and buy these records from it's like <laughs> yes to say the least yes <laughs> so, anyway uh what, what are you going to say chris i was just going to say like when you brought that up in the interview i thought that was important too because i never and again, now it's so commonplace to not think of things in those terms. But when you think of the, especially like whatever the blood book with the kids, uh, Whitney High record, like 
that whatever year that is, that's still early nineties, I think. Yeah. Um, so it's like, it's, uh, it's ahead of the time. Like as far as anything like that, I, there were other things referencing that, which I, I believe he was influenced by, but, um, but for him to kind of put it in that sort of forum, um, was, was kind of interesting. Like I think he was, it was ahead on that is what I'm trying to say. So I had never, uh, there's probably some things I might've heard from that. I was sort of interested in some of that stuff already, but, um, but yeah, it's, I never thought of it in those terms of that being like important or ahead of time. Like when you were like saying blood book is like whatever, one of your most important zines or whatever. And he kind of scoffed at it, but yeah, I never thought of it in those terms, but yeah, it's, uh, it certainly has its moments. It definitely wasn't pitching the same nonsense that everyone else was. Yeah, and like it, it you know, it wasn't always you know tasteful. Um, that's no, for sure. But like, not, yeah. even in its moments of you know tastelessness, it's it's definitely like doing it from a very different kind of way. Yes, agreed. Um, and what a run of like records to put out too. Like you know, including that ringworm demo. Yes, which I don't have either, but I wish I did. Yeah. All this stuff's so rare. Yeah, exactly. Like you said, though, it's like the flyers and zines thing is like the one that's going to get you. Those are the, you know what I mean? And if you couple them, it's even worse. I had an opportunity this year to get one of these blood books, and I, someone bought it, bought it out from under me. But it was, uh, yeah, someone put up that with the kids' record, and I, do not have it still and i was like kind of kind of feeling it and it just didn't pan out it's okay. but i see there's some still up so i can get it eventually yeah like that's the thing is now we live at a time where you know you wait long enough all these records will return except for a test press test presses still might be hard to come by but like everything else yeah. there will be a way to get them eventually yeah agreed but well, anyway chris i think you and me are both yeah, pretty exhausted. <laughs> yeah, uh, we will. We could go on with this one forever, but I think we'll have a chance to talk about Dwight again. As I think a part two of this one is very much imminent at this point, so we will be talking about this again. Uh, but uh, Chris, how do they get in touch with us here again? Yeah, turn out a punk footnotes at gmail dot com. And uh, that is all. If you would like to get in touch with me on various forms of social media, at Leftford Damien, there's a Facebook page for Turned Out a Punk. Tell your friends about it. And we will see you next week. Dave Paggio next week. And it's, uh, it's a good one. It Kind of like it's amazing to think that now I'm 100% sure that him and Dwid would have been in the same room at the same time. And that's an amazing thing to think about that slint and integrity can trace their origins to the back of Charlie's pizza in Louisville, (laughs) Kentucky. Nice. (laughs) It's amazing how the nineties all come back to one spot. Anyway, thank you everyone for listening and we will see you next week.